brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash G-O-M. They've got almost a quarter million titles to choose from, and you'll definitely find something that you like for whatever device you're listening from. Prepare to land. Good place. The dwarf has played his little trick. The wildfire? We can only play it once. We're too far from the gates. Fire. There are archers. Hundreds will die. Thousands. Well met, knights and knaves, and welcome to our podcast. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan the Fearsome, Death by Night. And I am... Who am I? (laughs) And I'm Lady Kristen of House McWegelbergino, deemed kindest in the realm, the sarcastic lover of limericks. (laughs) Nice. And this is Game of Microphones, episode 61. On this episode of our series, Rewatch, we are covering Game of Thrones, Season 2, Episode 9, Blackwater. (laughs) And just in case you're not already aware, this is a spoiler-filled podcast from the perspective of someone who's already seen the full series. So, if you're not caught up to Season 7, Episode 7, there's still time to, uh, you know, set that wildfire ablaze and hang out close by. This is your spoiler warning. Spoiler alert. Ah, ah, ah. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. All right. Should we jump right into it? Yeah. Um, I love this episode. Just before yeah. we get started. This it's was like the first really big battle and they did it really, really well. <laughs> yeah, they really did. So much great cinematography and emotion and just spectacle and Great, great elements all around. I agree. So what's your number five? My number five is I am going to talk about, um, you know what? I'll have my number five uh, be the pacing of the episode. Okay, pacing. Cool. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I love I love it when when a show, when an episode, you know, gets it just right, you know, it starts off super, super quiet. You know, you have, um, you have the 
the quietness of of the ships and they're coming into uh, Blackwater Bay. Everybody's quiet underneath, you know, save for the retching over the barrels. But, you know, people are speaking in hushed tones and it's nighttime and they're making a sneak attack. And then, you know, you have Tyrion and he's lying in bed and, and it's very quiet and it's very still. And they even have, you know, Tyrion and Shay even have a very quiet conversation. And, you know, Cersei is Beautiful sitting there. She's together. staring out. Oh, yeah. Cersei's staring out the window and she's clutching this essence of nightshade while, you know, a bumbling Pycelle is behind her. And all she wants to do is for him to just shut up. You know, and so it's like you've got these these three sides essentially, right? Tyrion and Cersei and um, Stan, or not, not really Stannis, but Davos. Yeah, we see it largely from Davos's perspective, at least to start until mm-hmm. the explosion, I believe, and then we see right. Stannis for the first time. And and I love it that the opening line is "the tides against us, I, but we have the wind," right? <laughs> Yeah, really great. But it's just so quiet. And then, you know, you have this tavern scene and and it's, you know, these guys that are just kind of drinking and kind of laid back. So you're revving up a little bit. But then all of a sudden, you know, you have uh, Varian, (laughs) you have Varian and Pod and, you know, they're they're talking or whatever. But then all of a sudden you get the drums against the bells and, you know, shit's about to go down. You know, and from there, it just builds and builds and builds and builds until all of a sudden, like it just goes at the very end. And it's just Cersei and Tommen on the Iron Throne. Yeah, it's just so cool. Like the pacing is just this wonderful, beautiful ebb and flow. And then you go and you look at who wrote this episode and you're like, oh, it was George R.R. Martin. Okay, got it. That's why it's beautiful. (laughs) Yes. And oh man, they create some really, really elegantly done moments in this episode. Like um, there's a moment where Tyrion drops the torch from the uh, from the wall, the battlements. And there's a great shot where it's Bronn in the foreground and he glances over his shoulder and you can see sort of out of focus in the background, the torch tumble and he aims his arrow up to the sky and blasts. And then the, the arrow is flying through the sky and we get a shot from over Davos's shoulder, like a resident evil video game, third mm-hmm. person over the shoulder style view. And he's looking up at the sky as the arrow is arcing over the fleet and about to land. And it's enough time taking place like that enough time elapses during this arcing arrow shot where the suspense is building for Mm -hmm. the viewer and for the people on the ships and i'm just sitting there and it's building and building and building and i think that's one of the great um, elements of pacing in this episode too is how they drag certain parts out to build tension which which um amplifies like the this the the pacing um Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know how to explain it but it's awesome I know. I know what you're saying. I got you. I'm with you. Yeah, it's cool. Man. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I just um, I love the pacing of this episode. I just think that, um, you know, George R.R. R. Martin and the director, Neil Marshall, I think that they both did a really good job um, with how they decided to do this particular episode, especially since it was their very first battle scene um, of the series. And I think that they did it with a lot of respect and. Did um did Neil Marshall also do the battle at Castle Black? Oh, you know what? That I don't know. I know that George R. R. Martin did um campaign for Neil Marshall to do this episode. Oh, interesting. Um the original director backed out last minute and they gave it to Neil Marshall. Um and he had I think he had like four or five days to actually get everything together to film. 
um, he was like put on a plane on a Friday and they were set to start um, filming like on a Monday or something crazy like that. Huh. Interesting. Season four credits. Yeah, he did um, Watchers on the Wall in season four. Oh, he did Blackwater, Watchers on the Wall. Yep, those are his two episodes. That's so funny because because this episode had the largest budget and largest number of visual effects of any episode of Game of Thrones until the end of the fourth season with the episode The Watchers on the Wall. Yeah, he got both the big budgets. <laughs> so it makes sense. Yeah, George R. R. Martin wanted him. He knew what he was, he was capable of. They gave him all the they they gave him the big big guns for this episode. Pulled it off beautifully. So they brought him yeah. back for season four for uh, Watchers on the Wall. I remember hearing about it. And, seeing that episode analyzed and there's a lot of really great cinematography in that one too. So yeah, he's a great director. Wish he was doing a season eight. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's okay. We got lots of good directors. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Very, very good one. So anyways, that was my number, my number five, just the beautiful, beautiful pacing of this episode and how wonderfully it was written and directed and just executed very, very well. Nice. Good one. How about you? And this is a fantastic uh, episode for pacing. My number five is Tyrion and um, just his whole story arc in general in this episode. You mentioned uh, it starts off with Tyrion, seeing Tyrion for the first time as he's lying uh, awake as Shay is sort of sleeping next to him. And she, um, she, she asks him if he's afraid and they're sort of talking and she tells him she won't let him let them hurt him. And uh, <laughs> he tells her that she can't fuck her way out of everything, which is a funny line. As I have so far. Yeah, yeah she has so far. <laughs> and she asks him if he remembers what he said to her and that the first night they met and that she should make love to him like it was his last day on this earth. And that's basically the same situation they're in right now, again, with Tyrion potentially having to go out to, to fight as soon as Stannis shows up. And it's a sneak attack at night, so little do they know it's going to be any minute. So it's basically the same um, situation again. I thought it was a, you know, a cute, like sweet, romantic type uh, scene between the two of them. So that was cool. So next we see him, like you said, Varian. <laughs> Varys is lamenting over the chiming of the city's bells. And it's a great uh, it's a great transition for that scene, too, because the scene had just ended with Bronn and Sandor, which we'll talk about later. But that ended with the bells going off and them realizing that a mm. war was going to start. And so they decide to have a drink together, one last drink before the war. And so it transitions directly from that to various reaction to the bells. And they continue on that trend as we later see, um, I think, Davos and his son's reaction to the bells as well. Which is cool. I like that sort of theme that they were going with. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Varys explains how he's always hated the bells and how they ring for horror. A dead king, a city under, city under siege, a wedding, <laughs> Tyrion says. And he says exactly, which is funny. He goes, um, I, I didn't stutter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he, he asks Podrick, is that it? And Tyrion takes a jab at him saying that he doesn't, you know, he... he He's pretending he doesn't know the name of every boy in this town. And there's a funny little bit of dialogue between the two of them, which makes sense because this is George R.R. R. Martin, right? Mm -hmm. Where Varys says, I'm not entirely sure what you're suggesting. Suggesting Entirely sure. <laughs> and he's like, I'm entirely sure you're entirely sure what I'm suggesting. <laughs> which is sort of like a, a, a mini version of the, the, uh, the semantical... Um, hilarity that we have later with the Hound, Joffrey, Lancel, and Tyrion as they're all bouncing back and forth and using each other to communicate with each other. I love that part. Yeah, we'll get to so that too. It's childish. so funny. 
Yep. So uh, he he varies asks Tyrion if he trusts Pod, and oddly enough, he says, "I do," which is cool, you know, because Pod's mm-hmm. the man, and we like that. We like Pod. So um, varies at that yes. point. <laughs> yeah, the ladies. Yeah, especially the love ladies Pod. love Podrick. <laughs> yeah. So uh, varies immediately gets right to the point. You know, now that he knows that Pod is on the on the list, and uh, he says, "This the map you asked for." And Tyrion reacts, there must be 20 miles of tunnels beneath the city, and various says, closer to 50. Mm-hmm. And um, the Targaryens, he informs Tyrion that the Targaryens built this city to withstand a siege to prov- and to provide escape if necessary. And Tyrion says that he's basically going down the sh- with the ship. So my question at this point is, how does Varys know about this map? First of all, it's been, you know, I mean, he's been around for what? He served the Mad King for a while. Mm-hmm. He hasn't... Um, I guess he's been around for longer than Cersei, who was on the scene in the Red Keep when uh, when Robert took over. But Tywin was the king's hand. You'd think that Tywin would know about this stuff, too. But Varys is like the only person who knows about it. Nobody seems to have any idea about this. How did Varys find out? So, okay, you're, you talking just put an idea into my head. And awesome. I'm wondering if Varys is like Melisandre. Um, the red woman who she takes off her necklace and it's like a thousand year old woman. So do we know how old Varys is? Do we know where he's been? We only know what Varys says. And according to Sir Patrick, what he says doesn't mean much. So I'm just wondering, okay, where, like, when did you get cut? How long ago was it? You know, yeah, that's true. Cause yeah, he doesn't give us, tell us exactly. He may have not lied at all. Just left out the timeline. Mm hmm. That's so interesting. It's, it's possible that he has had the map for hundreds of years. We don't ever when the Targaryens see him with a ruby, the though. That, that is true. Um, although Magor thinks it, at least the legend says that he kill, had everybody killed who built the Red Keep, so they wouldn't be able to divulge its secrets to anybody else, which is pretty hardcore. Um. Yeah, I wonder about that. We don't see Varys with any rubies at any point that I know of, so um, it's unlikely, I think, that he's that he uses a glamour. And we do know that he, at least, um, you know, he. It's implied on the show that he's sort of like a a master of disguise. Mm-hmm. And um, there's more more in that in the book. So we know that he does use physical tr- physical techniques to um, manipulate his appearance and doesn't necessarily rely on glamours. So it may be it may be that he's using a glamour to look younger. Um, but I don't know. I don't I don't necessarily think it's accurate, but it's a really interesting thought. It's yeah, really cool. no, I look, I could be totally out in the field. But I mean, if your question is, how did he get a hold of this? How does he know what he knows? How does he have all yeah, of these I mean, that's a, people that's a potential and, explanation. and information? And he's from Volantis. And then, you know, in season seven, Melisandre looks at, you know, varies and says, you know, you know, I have to die in this foreign land just like you do. You know, yeah. My, our story's not over. And they're linked somehow. We know that they're linked and we don't know what, what the end story is for the two of them. And yeah. we're going to find out. But it would be interesting to know what exactly um, what exactly varies is history really is. Yeah. I, I just I can't. This is it's like my biggest question mark that I cannot wait to find. And I answered. have some great book theories that we can't get into now on this podcast. But, <laughs> but yeah, we can talk about that off the air. Yeah, um, OK. <laughs> it's Sorry, it's actually listeners. really cool. It's one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite theories too. 
it has to do with the Blackfire rebellions. I'll give oh, you that cool. little hint. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. I'm remembering now that we allegedly see the guy who cut varies, and he's an old man that varies has in a box later. So if that's true and that's the guy, that would mean that varies is, you know, regular age to not like hiding in extreme age with a glamour or something like that. Back to the show. So, yeah, I was wondering how he learned about that, the map, that is. And then uh, he tells Tyrion, you know, that after Tyrion says he'll go down with the ship, he's like, um, he basically says that I'm sure a lot of captains say that when their ship is afloat, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. it's fun, which is pretty funny. But Tyrion's trying on his armor and he tells him he looks well suited for battle. And I have in my notes that he, Tyrion does look super badass, uh, even though he's small in stature, he looks good in armor. Yeah, but you know what? It's so funny because this is a guy that has had no formal training as a fighter and he he has this really cool armor and I mean, he gets the job done. Yeah. I mean, he takes whatever he has. I mean, Braun even said, I saw you kill a guy with a shield once with that in your hand. You are unstoppable. Yeah, that's a great moment. You'd be unstoppable with an axe. That's a that's a big compliment from Braun too. Huge compliment, and especially from Braun. You know, if right. he's complimenting you on your physical prowess for fighting, then you mm-hmm. know it's serious. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. Great. great observation. And, you know, he's a survivor, and he'll use you know anything that he can to survive. I mean, that's Tyrion in a nutshell, right? Yeah. And he fits into a little nutshell because <laughs> he's so cute. <laughs> yeah. So, so he responds to Varys and says, "Well, I'm not, you know, um, like well suited for battle." And uh, Varys says, "For all our sakes, I hope you're wrong," which I thought was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. And uh, he further tells Tyrion that his little birds tell him that Stannis has taken up with a red priestess from a shy. What of it? You don't believe in the old powers, my lord. Blood spells, curses, shape-shifting. What do you think? I think you believe in what you, in what see, you see and in and in what those you trust have seen. And Varys nails it here. This is exactly what we've been saying about Tyrion and what makes him a good critical thinker and logician. So we see this attribute of Tyrion come into play here and and well not necessarily. We see we see it mentioned here, but we see it come into play when he meets Jon Snow again in season seven, Jon tells him about the White Walkers and Tyrion makes him or takes him more seriously than he otherwise would because of what Lord Commander Jor uh, Mormont and Maester Aemon had told him in their dire warning to him in season one. Remember that? I, do I, I watched this exact episode last night. Oh, really? From I season watched one? this scene, yeah, nice. for season seven of, of oh, Tyrion that. and John having this exact conversation when he said, right. I believe in what I see and I believe um, in people, people who I trust and what they see or whatever it was. And, and he, you know, he was like, Jor Mormont was not a liar and you're not a liar. And, you know, right. So Tyrion remembered that, like you said, it, it mm-hmm. stuck with him. Too bad he wasn't able to secure more prisoners for the Night's Watch. But um, I thought that was pretty significant. Well, he couldn't do anything. I mean, Cersei had yeah, Cersei all the power is, with that. Right. Once he was made hand, he could have done something. He but, had a child to keep on a leash. Yeah, he, he did the best he could. <laughs> so Varys tells him, you probably don't trust me. And you know, Tyrion says, don't take it personally. And that makes perfect sense. Why would you trust him? <laughs> um, so Varys tells him that 
know, I have seen things and heard things, things you have not, things I wish I hadn't, and eludes at the dark magic. And he says, I don't believe I've ever told you how I was cut. Mm-hmm. And Tyrion says, no, I don't believe you have. And he says, one day I will. And one day we do hear Varys tell his harrowing tale. That's a great scene. Which scene? When Varys when, actually tells him? Yes. Yeah. I just crazy. I, and you know what? When we get to that episode, we're going to talk more about this. I, I'm, I'm excited to talk about that scene when right. we get to it. Definitely. So Varys continues and says, The dark arts had provided Lord Stannis with his armies and paved his path to our door. Um, and he says, For a man in service to such powers to sit on the Iron Throne, I can think of nothing worse. And tonight, I believe you're the only man who can stop him. He's I right. I that written down, too. And it's got, I'm thinking it's, it must be important. You know, Varys' views on the dark arts must end up being important to Tyrion since um, mentioned right before this is how Tyrion trusts, you know, people who Tyrion trusts, uh, their views are important to Tyrion. So Tyrion ends up trusting Varys, as we know. So this must come into play at some point in the future. Um, Tyrion's going to have to make a decision, and this is going to play into it somehow. Mm-hmm. So then Tyrion and Tyrion is walking with Bronn, which is a great scene. Um, t- Tyrion is telling him to remember to wait until all the ships are in the bay before he launches the arrow. And Bronn's like, I know, blah, 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 blah. I know what in means. Uh, okay, Mom, I'm not an idiot. Yeah, and that's when they mention that you'll be unstoppable with a shield or with an axe because uh, I've seen you kill a man with a shield. And uh, Tyrion says, don't don't get killed. And he says, nor you, my friend. And uh, <laughs> Tyrion Ooh, says, oh, are, are we, we friends, friends now? now? Right. Of course no, we are. No, that's what Bronn said. Oh, Bronn oh, said Bron it. Bronn said it. Oh, okay. are we friends now? Right, right. Of course we are. Just because I pay you for your services doesn't diminish our friendship. <laughs> Enhances it. <laughs> oh, enhances fancy word for sellsword. Hang around fancy people. Fancy folks, yeah. So I thought this was a great moment because Bronn's hilarious, first of all. But I also like seeing the the friendship of of Tyrion and Bronn develop, and uh, these two really, really do appreciate each other's talents and sensibilities. And this is a strong moment for them where they kind of, you know, in a moment where they're not sure if they'll ever see each other again, they level with each other and sort of express to each other how important they are without mm-hmm. getting too sappy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But just like acknowledging that they're friends is, is something more significant than it seems to be, you know? So I really like this moment. <laughs> I like their friendship more than Bronn and Jamie's friendship. Yeah, well, it's more... It's more real. It's more of a real friendship. Genuine. You know? yeah. I agree. Yeah. Bronn and Jamie aren't like really friends. Bronn was assigned by Tyrion to help Jamie, and then they sort of, you know, he, he needs Jamie for gold and he gets strung along with promises, but he, he stuck up for Tyrion when he didn't have to. Um, and I feel like, you know, connected with Tyrion more for sure. Mm-hmm. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I I think you're right, but you know, I mean, Bronn made some decisions in uh, season seven that made me question just him oh, yeah. as a character. You know, yeah, we'll see. So see we'll happens. see what happens with him. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a funny moment soon after this, I think, when Tyrion walks up and you know says hello to Lady Sansa and uh, Sheila. Shay. <laughs> Shay, yes. I thought that was hilarious. I have Same thing. <laughs> ever clever, Tyrion. Uh, so funny. Making nobody think, have any suspect that he knows her. Uh, <laughs> but did you see her? She's just like, it's she's Shay, like, you, you fucking idiot. Ass. Yeah. <laughs> I love great. how completely obtuse she can be. Yeah, you know? Totally. Like she just and she even calls her. him my lion in that same scene, too. Yeah. Well. <laughs> 
I know. And then and then Sansa says something like, oh, that's interesting because Sansa later says something like, oh, you know, Joffrey, Joffrey will come back. The worst ones always do. And she's like, are you kidding me? Like, do you know who can hear you? And it's like, uh, Shay, do you know who who can hear you? Yeah, but seriously. You're sitting here saying, oh, my lion, you know, blah, Screaming blah. in Tyrion's apartment, too. <laughs> Remember, yeah. like, yeah. shut up, Shay, damn it. Mm-hmm. I don't care who can hear me. Can your father hear me all the way from the Riverlands? <laughs> It's hilarious. Poor stupid Shay. Yeah. Yeah. So then Joffrey and crew are approaching the city wall, and there's chaos, and you can hear men shouting and drums beating in the distance, and and Joffrey's like, "Where's Joffrey's our fleet?" You know, he trickling out of his armor. Yeah, it just drip drip as he's uh, moving <laughs> along, and uh, so he's asking where the fleet is, and, and they're on the way. And why isn't it here now? They're coming and. And <laughs> Hound, tell the Hound that his king has asked him a question. Oh gosh, I hate him so much. The king has asked you a question. Sir Lancel, tell the Hound to tell the king that the Hand is extremely busy. The Hand of the king would like me to tell you that the king... <laughs> <laughs> They're just all a bunch of idiots. Oh, I hate them all. Yeah, this I back and forth is priceless. <laughs> Then Joffrey's like, if I tell the hound to cut you in half, he'll do it without a second thought. That would make me the quarterman. It just doesn't have the same ring to it. I I thought that was funny because I was making a joke about this a couple weeks ago about Tyrion getting cut in half and how he'd Mm -hmm. be even smaller than half, man. And I had forgot about this scene entirely, so it gave me a chuckle to hear this. Were you going to say something? No, I was was just going to say I love that line. That oh, would yeah, make me great. the quarterman. Doesn't have the same <laughs> ring to it. Like so he says, it's funny. so deadpan. Like I don't have time for your bullshit. Okay, I have a war that I'm trying to fight. To it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so that he's like, cut me in half, and I won't be able to give this signal. No signal, no plan, no plan. And Stannis Baratheon sacks this city, takes Aaron throne, puts your little pinched head atop a, a gate somewhere. And I thought that was hilarious. He called it. He said he had a pinched head. Just so funny. And he goes on to say, um, it it might be quite amusing, except that my head would be up there, too. I've never much liked my head, but I don't want to see it removed just yet. Which I thought was a great line as well. He's just got such great wit. And uh, even in like the darkest of times, he'll make something funny. And uh, I love how he just will not, you know, submit to Joffrey and just gives him shit at every chance possible, which is great. I like it that he slaps him a lot. Yeah, imp slap. So then, imp slap. Yeah. So then Stannis is riding towards shore with the, with his sword in his hand, looking like a badass, like at the prow of the boat, with the kneeling with the sword point, like pointing into the into the ship's bow, and he's gripping it by the handle. And Tyrion is standing on top of the wall, watching, and you can hear um, the the men grunting as they're pull. Is there just rowing towards the shore, and Tyrion has another great line here. He's a serious man, Stannis Baratheon, <laughs> which I thought was just so mm-hmm. funny. He is a definitely a serious guy, you know. He's that's, uh, that's putting it mildly. Yeah, if there's one word that's that encapsulates Stannis, he's always dead serious. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we ever saw him laugh, not once, right. Did we ever see him smile, except maybe with Shireen once? Uh, yeah. You know what? He smiled when he saw Brienne right before he died. Oh. 
I think that was oh, that was more of a. I think it was a uh, smile. I, it was more of, of realizing the irony. Of the irony. Life. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that wasn't like a happy smile, you know. It was it was still a serious smile. He like ah, oh, you know, like he's he's in deep serious thought when that was happening. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's funny. Um, he wasn't a happy man. Definitely not. Definitely he was not never a happy. happy. Man. Joffrey, they're coming! They're coming ashore! <laughs> Rain fire on them, Tyrion says, which was a very Targaryen line. And which contrasts the horror in his eyes when, when we actually do see the explosion. Which is funny. Which is a direct uh, opposite of the pyromancer's eyes right. the explosion. That's my boy, Roy Dotrice. I know. That's our audiobook narrator. I loved it when he showed up. He just shows up with that little fire stick and he's like, do it, do it. <laughs> I got yeah, I loved that uh, that Roy got to hand Tyrion the uh, the torch to set everything into motion, which was cool. He had like no business being there, and, and, <laughs> but I'm so he glad he was there all the same because you knew when you saw him, you're like, I know what's coming, I know oh, what's coming. Oh yeah, you know there's gonna be something to do with wildfire. Yeah, that's great. I hadn't even thought about it like that, and. um so this at this point he says rain fire on them down on them and he's telling the archers to do their thing and he tells the hound to form a party um and to head to the the king's gate bring any men guarding it and or, and he he tells uh and he's at the mud gate right so they're already at the mud gate watching and they're telling pod to go to the king's gate and stannis is arriving at the mud gate so Tyrion totally called that stannis was going to attack the mud gate um he's a great strategy um you know extrapolator mm-hmm. so that was pretty cool and then because um, they said that that was the weakest gate yeah 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 so or the weakest entrance so then the hound is heading off and has a great line that as he's walking past the the guys with the the archers with the flaming arrows and if these flaming fucking arrows come near me i'll strangle you with your own guts that was my favorite line of the episode. Yeah. It's <laughs> I, awesome. And there were a lot of great lines in this episode, but when he said, I'll strangle you with your own guts, I was like, dude, I believe him. Yeah, totally. Like, he legit He's the would. guy I believe when we he saw says him that. <laughs> disembowel somebody already, so we know that he can access your guts real quick. Yeah, and probably put them in a little like braid and then a sailor's knot and then throw it over your neck while you're still alive. (laughs) You can tie them in in a bow. Uh, That was at his Darth (laughs) Darth Sandor moment during the King's Landing riot when he picked that guy up by the throat like like a force choke and then disemboweled him when he was dangling. I love that scene too. I love that so then more boats land and there's more fighting and the ram is being readied and an upturned boat is being used to cover the ram operation. And naturally, this made me think of DuckTales, Woo. Legend of the Lost Lamp. <laughs> yeah, when they're using an upturned little like, little boat thing as a shell to hide from these big ass crab things that are coming at them from all sides, which is really cool. Love that movie. And then um, Joffrey is forced to make a choice as shit is getting serious and um and he he can either stand and fight or flee like a bitch right your grace the queen has sent me to bring you to the red keep lancel tells him what did my mother say exactly did she have (laughs) urgent business with me if you won't defend your city why should they what would you have me do (laughs) lead get down there and lead your people against the invaders who want to kill them um, so this is hearkening back to the scene when Tyrion was talking with Cersei about what Joffrey should be doing in the battle. Tyrion was advocating 
that he needs to fight with his people and set an example. And Cersei just thought it was a, me- a method to for Tyrion to plan to get Joffrey killed in combat. And I think that it also is. You know, it's a little bit of both. Totally. Tyrion wants him to go out there and get his ass handed to him and killed. But he also wants to keep the troops' morale high so that they can win this battle. And that involves having the king, you know, playing that role, being the motivator, being the Superman, um, keeping hope alive, you know. Um, and he definitely does not do that. So he decides to be a biatch and heads back towards the castle and he tells Sir Mandan um, to stay with his uncle and represent the king on the field of battle. And he doesn't, can't even say anything to Tyrion. He's like too embarrassed. So he just storms past, looks at him briefly. And then you hear in the background the men, the, the, the fighters, starting to say, Where's the king? Why isn't he with us? Who are we fighting for? Who leads us? And things are looking bleak as the men question where the king is and who's leading them, and Tyrion steps up to take command in the absolute most epic of fashions. Right as somebody says, who leads us? You hear him softly say, I'll lead the attack. And then he gets more confidence. I'll lead the attack! So this is a very (laughs) cool, this is a very cool part because um, apparently... Peter Dinklage made the decision to say it twice. Oh, right. Yeah. That was an ad-libbed moment with a dynamic change. Yeah. And they said that it was such a like impactful. Yeah. Moment that they, they just thought it was simply brilliant because it's like he had to tell himself before he he told everybody else. He was like, and and it was like, almost like I'm surprised that these words are coming out of my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. That's, that was a great, um, great, Peter Dinklage is the man. That. Yeah, he's awesome. The Dink, killing it. <laughs> that's not going to catch on. No, it's that's I didn't make that up. That's already a thing. That <laughs> still should not catch on. <laughs> <laughs> the Dink. Um, the so, Dink. <laughs> so, so he steps up. I'll lead the attack. Yes. And someone else. What are you talking about? Pod, my helm. <laughs> yes, my helm, yeah. Uh, Sir Mandan, you will bear the king's banner. And it goes on with this epic speech oh, starting. They say that speech. I'm half a man, but what does that make the lot of you, you know? <laughs> and um, they're, they're saying, you know, there's only one way out, and they're blocking it. We can't even get out there to fight them. He's saying, there's another way out. I'll show you. We'll come out from behind them and fuck them in their asses, which is <laughs> another great line. Tyrion is too funny, man, and Dinklage shines at this moment when he emits an, a nervous grin ever so briefly and glances up at Sir Mandan and the Kingsguard, and then um, it's like that sort of awkward, nervous glance is sort of like a comedic moment as well. There's a lot of real comedic moments that are scattered throughout this episode, which shine also. It's like, those are brave men out there. Let's go right. kill them. Yeah, and he's, he does a great job here, man. He's an excellent motivational speaker. Don't fight for your king and don't fight for his kingdom since the king just bailed. You know, fuck him. Don't fight for honor. Don't fight for glory. Don't fight for riches because you're not going to get any. This is your city. Stannis means to sack, you know. This is your gate that he's ramming. If he your gets gold. in, yeah, it's going to be your gold he steals. It'll be your women that he's going to rape. 
you know and you know what that's what that's the only that's the only point that i had issue with because I, stannis runs a tight ship man there's no way he would allow that f- to happen i i really honestly don't think <laughs> yeah. that that would happen if there's going to be any army attacking that's that would be under like a level of control that they may not engage this in that type that of thing army. yeah it's it's stannis's um highly militarized disciplined army i and imagine the unsullied but you know, people like Cersei says, people, men's blood gets up during battle, and you know they go crazy for a pair of tits or whatever she says. I, yeah, I get it. I'm just telling you. I no, just I, don't. I totally feel yeah. you on that. If it's if there's any army that's gonna sack a city without raping anybody, it's gonna be an army run by someone like Stannis who could instill that type of discipline into his soldiers. Right. Or the <laughs> Unsullied. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or the Unsullied because they can't rape. <laughs> Nor did they desire to. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Great. Um, so yeah, like you said, those are brave men knocking at our door. Let's go kill Let's them. Let's go kill them. And the men cheer and rally as Tyrion steps forward and takes position to lead the counterattack. And in a great moment, as um, all these big guys start following Tyrion, and I have written down, even a small man can cast a large shadow. Mm-hmm. Harkening back to... Um, Whenever it was that somebody said that to him. Um, so Tyrion leads the men into the fray through what looks like a sewer gate or something like that. And um, Yeah, one of the tunnels is my yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, my guess is he studied that map and he's like, okay, I need a way out from where I'm going to be. Where right. is it? I think the secret tunnel has a secret exit into this sewer drain that they exit through with like this gate that seems to exit mm-hmm. right out somewhere by the water. So uh, it, maybe it's the same gate that Arya ended up coming out of when she was in the secret tunnels um, when she ended up outside the city walls. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. I just thought of that too, maybe. Because she ended up out by the Blackwater Rush, right? Yeah. yeah. That's so interesting. Oh, man. I, li- I like that. I could explore the Red Keeps tunnels forever. That would be like my jam. I'd be like, elect me king, and I'm just going to give somebody else control so I can explore the Red Keep. I'll, I'll take control. <laughs> yeah. I'll do it. <laughs> so um, they they start attacking the, the, the Baratheon troops that are outside, and they flip over the, the, the boat that's being used to protect the ram operation before they can succeed. And it's it seems to be glorious that they've won, and... And everyone starts chanting, half man, half man, you know, and it's an epic moment. And the triumphant version of the Reigns of Castamere starts playing briefly, um, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. And, t- oh, sorry. and uh, Tyrion takes off his helm prematurely and unwisely, as we soon find out, as he looks over and troops come rushing from the darkness. And he says, oh, fuck me. <laughs> So Tyrion is fighting an attacker and he loses his axe and someone else tackles the intruder away. And then Tyrion sees Kingsguard, Sir Mandon Moore, standing there and he's like, oh, cool. You know, I got backup. And he sort of smiles, thinking his help. Nope. Sir Mandon approaches and attacks, lifting his sword high above his head and slashing it across Tyrion's face. Mm. And this comes right after a moment where we saw Stannis cut the top of a guy's head off. Right before this, and just like Michonne from The Walking Dead, like yeah. slice his head right in half. Um, and this is a director's trick to create a visual connection in our mind between this guy having his head cut in half and this superficial wound on Tyrion's face that we believe 
is going to be deadly based on what we just saw with this other guy. It's sort of like subliminally programming us to expect a blow to the head to result in death. And it looks like it's going to. Um, this scene also with the, the effect of the blood seeping out of this cut that's coming across his whole face reminded me of the opening scene of this movie Cube. Have you ever heard of it? I haven't. I saw that you posted something earlier today on that I did. and I didn't have a chance to watch it. It's great. It's about these people that wake up in, in this machine, essentially this building that's comprised of comprised of these cube shaped rooms with a door like a hatch on the middle of every surface so the middle of the ceiling there's a hatch middle of the floor there's a hatch middle of all the walls there's a hatch unscrew the hatch open it there's another cube but some of the cubes are booby trapped so this it starts off with this guy who wakes up in the in the cube and he's he opens a door and looks into another cube and doesn't seem to be anything wrong so he goes in there and he starts to walk and all of a sudden there's like a whoosh sound and it it shows his face and all of a sudden little bits of blood start pouring out from his face, just like they did on Tyrion's face from these nearly invisible cut. cuts. Yeah. Yeah. And it turns out that this wire, this wire mesh had like sweep swept through and cut him into a bunch of little tiny cube pieces. And he mm. just kind of like falls apart <laughs> and tumbles into all these little pieces. Um, but it was a similar effect and it brought that into my mind and so I thought I'd mention that so you guys can check out that movie terrible acting for the most part in that movie but a really really cool plot that's worth um, experiencing just because it's so unique worth a remake yeah oh definitely worth a really cool remake and it actually has a really cool actor in it Um, a guy from Stargate Atlantis that I really like David Hewlett there's actually like three sequels too Um, but yeah so that was cool and Tyrion kind of drops and he's you know, Podrick stabs Sir, Sir Mandon through the back of his head with a spear. Right before he's about to finish him. Right as, yeah, right at the last possible second, Podrick, which is epic. Man. And it breaks the spear in half, which is cool. <laughs> and then which he is, grabs you know Tyrion. what, and that calls back, and that kind of solidifies Tyrion's trusting, judge of character. Right, trusting Podrick, yeah, as Farius asked him earlier. And that trust plays plays off, or um, pays off big pays time off, here. Yeah, yeah <laughs> plays off. Um, <laughs> Same thing. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll just play that off as an intentional thing to say. There you um, go. You're yeah, very yeah. smart. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he, he's, he's dying in Podrick's arms, or so it seems. And as he's dying, and as this is happening, we see... Um, um, Renly. We see, yeah, we see um, white Tywin's horse. army come in. And someone riding a white horse wearing Renly's armor, you can see the antlers, the stag. But if you're if you're dying, you don't see you don't see Tywin's army. Yeah, All you he see sees is Renly. You see Renly. Sees, you're like, why am I looking at Renly Baratheon right he, yeah, now? Yeah, he sees the ghost of Renly showing up to sabotage T- Stannis as payment, as payback for using dark magic to kill Renly. Yeah, or Renly showing up to like lead him into the gates of heaven or something. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, that's a great, <laughs> great call too. Wow, uh, that's awesome. So yeah, that uh, that's Tyrion for this episode. That sums it all up, and uh, I thought it was a really great episode for Tyrion, and um, you know, further um, you know, making us feel that this head blow will be fatal by showing us the guy getting his head cut in half. The previous um, scene, we're also uniquely susceptible to being tricked into thinking main characters can be killed on this show mm-hmm. after after experiencing Ned's traumatic death exactly one season earlier in episode nine of season one so they're, we're subconsciously we're, we're expecting a main character to die in this episode nine 
Right. And for anybody that hasn't read the books, you know, when you're watching this, if you haven't read it, you're like, oh, my gosh, they just killed my favorite character. Because, I mean, everybody loved Ned. (laughs) You know, I mean, everybody loved Ned. But let's be real here. Tyrion, until like Jon Snow was resurrected, I'd say, was everyone's favorite character. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there wasn't one person that said Tyrion. uh, No. You know, nobody said that. So, I mean, that was that was potentially a huge, huge death. Yeah. And you had to wait a whole week to find <laughs> out what week. happened. Like the whole week, you're yeah, like, what happened? Yeah, this is what a, a Netflix full season at a time deal. This yeah. is old school, one week at a time. So, well, oddly enough, my number four was also Tyrion. So I'm Perfect. just going to piggyback. Go for it. And there's really not much more to say. But um, I, did know, I did have the thought that, um, you know, Tyrion plays this character where he was never given a chance by his uh, his father, his sister, his brother. I mean, he was looked or at somebody else just because he's a dwarf. Right. Exactly. Know? I mean, he was looked at somebody who just was this stain on the Lannister name, you know. So, you know, he's he's given the the um, the plumbing system and the irrigation system, you know, at Casterly Rock. And, you know, he, he's shoved into, okay, well, he's smart, so he can go, go, you know, to the books. And, and, you know, I mean, anybody who has had even a little bit of psychology training can say he started thinking of himself as somebody who didn't matter because he was treated like he didn't matter. And so that's right. why he whored himself out and he acted like he was a joke because what did he say in episode two of season one to Jon Snow? He said, wear, wear it like armor so that they can't use it against you. Right. right? And this is important too. It's going to, we're talking about just so you guys uh, don't stop listening early, huh, like that would happen. Um, we're going to talk about Tyrion as our mythical archetype for later in this episode, and it's Tyrion and the antihero's journey, and that type of psychology plays into that discussion. So, oh, cool, good pickup. Um, so, so he's kind of become this joke of himself, and what I love is that because he cares so little about himself i mean he says you know oh i don't want my head removed or i'm a survivor blah 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 he cares very little about himself um and he develops into this leader just because he was given this small opportunity his dad threw him this hand of the king thing because he didn't have time to do it he didn't have time to hold joffrey's hand and control his right. crazy daughter and he right? was propelled into the stratosphere of power of planetos well right so Tyrion takes this as his opportunity right and he's like oh man this is going to be great and yeah, this um, is his shot and he does so well. Um, and what I love is that he was he was always unselfish. He was always intelligent. He was always strategic. He just needed that chance to show yeah. that he was everything that he knew deep down inside that he was. And he really shone in this episode. And it breaks my heart that nobody will remember the chanting of Half Man um, at the gates yeah. of King's Landing because... I mean, they're probably all dead. And that's the other sad way to interpret the, uh, you know, even a small man can cast a large shadow. Um, His shadow is cast over everybody in King's Landing here. His decisions save everybody. But nobody ends up seeing who cast the shadow. Because Tywin. Because he's so small. Right. Well, and and because he's kind of kicked around like a pebble in someone's shoe. 
Yeah, his early strategic victory is then overshadowed by Tywin's um, riding in on a finalization fucking white horse. and nailing, you know, putting the final nails in the coffin. His, right. it's, it, because his his wildfire intervention wasn't powerful enough to fully win. Right. He um, he sh- does, isn't getting the credit, but he should be getting credit because the only reason that King's Landing wasn't sacked is because his wildfire plan held Stannis off long enough so that Tywin could show up. Yeah, if that never happened, Tywin would Tywin would be coming to an already sacked King's Landing. You're absolutely right. And right. Cersei would be dead. Tommen would be dead. Um, you know, the the whole story would have changed. But um, you know, I I know that we touched on it a minute ago, but you know, Tyrion um Tyrion proving to be kind of a really good fighter and and kind of like a a warrior. I mean, for for his small stature and for his lack of of training like his yeah, it's brother quite remarkable. got I mean he he could hold his own in the midst of a huge battle and you know that deserves to be said uh and mentioned oh this is what I was going to say um just for anybody that has not read the books I know every week we say read the books I know every week we say hail hydra um <laughs> you know I I know we do that but there is a very significant element of the wildfire um, explosion that was yes, left out of left the book. Out. And it's really cool. And it's very cool. It's probably the coolest part of the entire uh, plan. And they couldn't make it happen because of budgetary reasons. Um, George R.R. R. Martin had to leave it out. It was He was crushed to leave it out. So, you know, I mean, A Clash of Kings read it it's great it but yes. this this particular element of the strategy i i would have loved to have seen it um, yeah on let's screen. just say Tyrion has king's landing working hard on this plan for weeks mm-hmm. he knew to prepare knew this what, what to do yeah the so. pyromancers doing their thing and he had the the smiths doing their thing mm-hmm. you can leave it at that so um so yeah, I mean that's I we we've talked enough about Tyrion, I think, but I think uh just just the way that he developed over the course of this season and the way that he developed um over the course of this particular episode and he really he really shone as um what he was capable of and and how much hidden potential he really had. So Yep, Jamie's got that sword, and uh, Tyrion's got that brain. Man, it's mm-hmm. awesome. Seen and it in Cersei's action. cray. <laughs> yeah. So your uh, your number five was kind of short because I had already talked so much. Uh, you want to continue with your next one? Uh, sure. Um, I will go right into. Well, since we're already talking about this a little bit, um, I, I'm going to go into role parallels. Um, cool. So. I noticed something not too long ago about this episode in the fact that we have a lot, we have two distinct sides of this battle and each, um, each role in each side has, has these funny little opposites to them, right? So you look at, and I mean, I'm not talking about each side in the fact that we've just got Stannis' side and, uh, King's Landing, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of different um, dynamics that are at play here. So um, the first one is probably the most similar, and that was Tyrion and Davos. Um, you know, Tyrion and Davos, both both hand of the king, they're both uh, relying on their strategy. Um, so 
Tyrion, uh, he talks things out. He uses books. He gets people involved. He tries to, you know, talk out what they're going to do. Whereas Davos is very quiet. He's very introspective. And he just uses his experience of the past to kind of fuel um, how he thinks about any given situation. You know, he knew King's Landing. He knew, uh, you know, kind of what to expect. And, and, and so that was really interesting just to see like the two of that played out. Um, definitely. There was a really cool moment too, where, um, Davos had said, he was talking with his son and, um, he says, your, his son says, you're coming home. And he says, King's Landing hasn't been home for 20, for 20 years. years. I've spent most of my life dodging the Royal fleet. Mm-hmm. And now I'm sailing right at them. <laughs> and the his son fleet. has to remind him, yeah, this is the royal fleet, oh, right. which I thought that was funny. Ugh. And you're not a smuggler anymore. You're the high captain. <laughs> of course, there are several royal fleets at the moment. <laughs> right. I know, right? I thought that was so funny. So they're both ready to fight. They're both ready to lead. Um, they both are a little uneasy about how they feel about fighting and leading and what they're getting into. But what's interesting is that they're both injured. They're both presumed dead. Dead, right. They both lose their job after they wake up. Huh. Um, and they both have the same kind of strategy. They both are very strategic. One has the strategy of wildfire. The other one has the strategy of a night attack, right? Yeah. So you've got these two. They both have sort of devious tactics. Yeah, yeah. So it was interesting just. Not very chivalrous. Here's the cool part that I that I just found that I just kind of realized I had like the aha moment right before we started recording was um, they're both still hand of the king. Except to, to two different people. Yes, two t- entirely different kings than they are at this point. But they're both still have retained that title, sti- yeah, although I with know. different uh, administrations. That is hilarious. And and they sort of bounce off of each other here, it, mirroring each other with their tactics and their sort right. of strategic control. And then they next time they're bouncing off each other, they sort of stick together a little right. longer, which is it's on Dragonstone. So cool that it's so now come they're like sort circle, of hanging out. Right? Yeah. And they end so up then, talking about it. Remember, he's like, the last time that I blah, 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 was at, you know, King's Land at the Battle of the Blackwater. He's like, you killed my son in that battle. Remember? So they sort yeah. of like <laughs> discuss this briefly later on, too. Um, and they're still able to respect each other. Yeah. I watched that episode last night. <laughs> right. I watched like half of season seven last night. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Um, yeah. I just like how they both sort of can still look past that that negative know interaction that they had with each other too and they can still respect each other mm-hmm. as capable um strategian strategic thinkers and um and and just you know moral people it seems like they re- generally respect each other even though they had this conflict they were just right. a, on different sides at they're that time they're both able to let it go yeah it's cool they're both able to say okay this is this is where we're at now right it's like it's like Tyrion saying last last in last week's episode one game at a time Right. right. This yeah, is yeah, this yeah. is now where they are. So, um, the next parallel that I saw that um, I uh, analyzed was uh, Joffrey and Stannis. Right. So you've got Stannis. Right. Stannis is first to fight, first to arrive, first on the boat, first off the boat, first on the sand, first, first up the ladder. On the ladder. First, like <laughs> he is leading it by example. Right. He's yep. no frills. He's like, come with me if you want to sack this city. Let's go. That's it. That's like basically all he said. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? He's the king that Sansa was talking about when she's talking to Joffrey. You, you should discuss battle plans with girls. And she's like, oh, that's right. I should I'm, I should just assume, of course, you're going to be in the vanguard fighting. You're the king. Any any good king would do that. That's what Rob does. You know, that's what we see Stannis doing. Right, and so it harkens right. back to that conversation with between Sansa and Joffrey where she's mirroring Arya, since we're talking about mirroring. Right. And she is uh, giving... Joffrey lip, even though she's in a precarious position, just right. like Arya was doing with Tywin. You know, they say that Rob Stark is unkillable. You know, the same type of thing. Uh, they're both doing the same thing. They're sort of in a in a dangerous spot, and they're they're uh, speaking. You know, their their tongues are are flashing right. in in dangerous ways. It's pretty funny. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, Stannis never gave up. He had to be physically pulled away by yeah. people, right? Yeah. Joffrey ran away like a little bitch because his, to hide behind his mother's skirts, right? Yep, just he like He commanded others to, to act in his steed, in his stead. Stead or steed? Stead. Stead, I believe, right? yeah. Um, he was the last one to arrive. He walks out of, this, of, the, uh, of the Red Keep like he has just now realized there's a war going on. I mean, I, I looked at his face when he walked out and he's just looking around going, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. They're, wait a minute. We are, are, are we fighting? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's um, so funny, man. He was all talk, no action. You know, he's like, I'm going to go out there. and I'm going to give, you know, Stannis a red smile and you're going right. to lick his blood off of this. And, you know, blah, blah, you're blah. You're going to fight him personally. There. If he's stupid enough to come anywhere near me, he'd have to fight his way near you because you're doing everything possible to keep him at a distance from you. Uh, right, exactly. Which is the exact opposite of what Stannis is doing. Right, and Stannis is just like, get me at him right now. I'm going to yeah. fucking kill this guy, you know? But it's like, it's so funny because, you know, Joffrey is all bark, no bite. And Stannis is all bite, no bark, right? I mean, yeah. they're just two totally different people. It's so Imagine if they did get to fight. Joffrey would be like, uncle, uncle, don't kill me. You're no nephew of mine. Bam. Bastard. (laughs) Oh, and you know what? One of our listeners um, actually noticed, and I wish that I had her name um, on me right now, Um, but she noticed that Joffrey is in all Lannister armor. I think it was Gigi Lugo. And I didn't even pick that up. Yeah, it's pretty pretty uh, good catch too. Yeah, he does. He's got the the lions on his shoulders and everything. It's dripping in lions, so yeah. they're not even pretending anymore. That's crazy. So, yeah. anyways, uh, that was Joffrey and Stannis, and then you have uh, the Hound and Bronn, where they both have the same boss. Oh, they both have different bosses. One is Joffrey. One is Tyrion. Um, the Hound is, you know, he's hard. He's sullen. He's crass. He's yeah. he's um. You know, he's just kind of like, look, I'm just going to kill stuff. OK, that's yeah. that's all that we do is we just kill people. Right. And their and their bosses hate each other. So naturally, they right. hate each other or they're supposed right. to, you know. Right. Exactly. And, and and you can tell that it's just that they hate each other because they think that they're supposed to. But they have some kind of mutual respect for each other. And and the hound just follows orders because he's a dog. Yeah. Right. And we see a mutual respect develop. Yeah. And Braun, you know, Braun is somebody who you he's free, you know, he's for hire. He can he, if he doesn't want to be, you know, if he doesn't want to work for Tyrion anymore, he's not going to, you know, and think about this. Think about this. Um, the Hound almost killed Braun on this day. And then Braun came back to save his life. So maybe the way that Hound, the, the way that Sandor was acting towards 
Bronn and then having Bronn come back and save his life, even though Sandor had threatened to kill him. Maybe, and this is right after he sees the guy on fire, maybe that played a part in convincing him that he's on the wrong path and made him switch, you know, that he's wrong about the way. That's funny because I was just about to say that. I was just about to say that. I think that Bronn, looking at Bronn and his freedom and um, seeing how skilled he was and that he was like, look, if I'm not going to be here, I'm not going to be here. I think that that probably gave the hound that, as you said, coupled with the fire, gave him the courage to leave. The impetus, yeah. You know, like he's like, no, I'm out of here. You know, Bronn's very smooth and graceful. He's jovial. He's very, you know, like, let the good times roll kind of thing. Like, he's the exact opposite of the Hound. He's not oppressed by his boss like the Hound is, you know? <laughs> right. No, totally. Yeah. And then lastly, or not, well, I, I have a very loose one at the bottom that I, you know, maybe you, you and I can, like, fix. But yeah. uh, but lastly, I have Sansa and Cersei. Um, Great. And Sansa and Cersei, right? These two are about as different as they get in this episode. Foils. You've got a drunk, abusive woman who who is ready to kill herself, kill her child. She has the <laughs> executioner ready For to kill everybody else. else. You know, she's just like, she's she's wearing like this armor. She's Hitler in the bunker. Yeah, yeah, right. I know. <laughs> um, and then you have Sansa, who is who's despite everything that's happened to her, even so far. I mean, we're not even we're not even at the really horrible part of her life yet, you know. <laughs> right. And she is strong. She's sober. She's supportive. She's frightened. She's you know she's leading hymns and praying, and she's saying all the right things, and she's just. You know, I am in awe of of Lady Sansa. She stepped up like Tyrion in this episode. They both took, um, you know, a position of leadership where they were and revived hope for the crowds that they were right. with at dire moments. Right. And uh, it's funny that they end up being married, too, because they sort of bear each other here. It was both when Cersei and Joffrey ran away. Right, yeah, it was Cersei exactly. runs away, Joffrey runs away, everybody's freaking out, and Tyrion and Sansa are like, okay, hey, look, it's all going to be okay. Look at me, look at me. It's going to be fine. It's going to be yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, if those two end up together, they could really rule the world. Um, yeah, really. That would bring the two houses together, too. Um, and then I have this really loose one, and it's mainly because Lancel, it's Lancel and Shay, right? It's kind of the the... Aid. That's awesome. I, I know it's it's kind of weird, but it's like Sansa had Shay, who was kind of her her right hand this whole time, and Cersei. I was like, the only right hand I could think of for Cersei is Lancel, because Lancel keeps coming back. Like, what do we do? What do we do? And then he yeah. tries to get strong with her, and she like beats him to the ground. Now you listen and, to me. Oh, right, exactly. So it's like, so I saw the two of them, Shay and Lancel, just being like completely opposite from each other. Just one is like this fierce woman who's like, nobody is getting between my legs. And Lancel, who is just like, I don't know what to do. Somebody tell me what to do. And only one of them got penetrated this this episode, too. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Lancel did, just in his shoulder by a sword. So, (laughs) or by an arrow. Right, exactly. Classic. So, anyways, those are the parallels that I had for. I, li- I like that last the one, Lancel yeah, and, and Shay. That's awesome. So, my number four is Stannis. Yeah, the and this Manus. is like one of the greatest Stannis episodes we get. 
Um, we get to see him fighting, which is always uh, great because I, I feel like Stannis doesn't get the credit he deserves for his, his skills in combat. Mm-hmm. He's proved to be quite the warrior um, whenever we've seen him fight. So the first time we see him is right after the boat explodes with the wildfire. And Stannis is shocked by that. But as usual, he never gives up. And this trait of Stannis is the cause of his death. This will be his death. The loss of a huge portion of his ships here and ignoring the advice of his council and proceeding proceeding to attack directly foreshadows him losing a large part of his army before the battle at Winterfell and in season six. And again, Stannis refuses to turn back or change course against the advice of his council. This time at Blackwater, he manages to survive. But next time at Winterfell, it results in his death. So this is an important characteristic of Stannis is just utter relentlessness. Um, and it plays a direct role in his fate. So uh, I also had another similar thought of foreshadowing um, the way that Tywin shows up and saves the day here foreshadows the way that Stannis ends up to save um, ends up showing up to save John in the Night's Watch before the uh, when you know when the uh, the wildlings have been attacking. Oh yeah, Watchers um, on the Wall, same director too. Tr- yeah, true. Well. It's it's the battle after that when when Stannis shows up, but uh, I mean the the episode after that because Watchers on the Wall ends with John stepping out the gate into the white, the white um, into the white north, and then it cuts, and then um, it opens up with him going to meet Mance the next episode, and that's the episode where Stannis comes. But yeah, it's, it, it foreshadows that whole thing, and then it also foreshadows the way that the Knights of the Vale save John at the Battle of the Bastards, although this time it's the um, the attacking army that's saved by the arriving army um, instead of the defending army that's saved by the arriving army. So that's oh, pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So I liked that little switch in the uh, in the, the scheme there, which is fun. So he, he tells then his... Then you can look at Hardhome and you can say that, you know, all of the uh, all of the whites that just went spilling over the mountain yeah oh man love that scene so uh stannis tells uh the guys after this explosion he tells them prepare to land and that's when we get to that amazing quote we mentioned earlier where the fire they're archers hundreds will die thousands (laughs) fewer (laughs) wait that's more (laughs) more (laughs) um so i I miss him (laughs) i know he's uh the Manus. There's some Stannis haters out there, but no, man, he is hilarious and just really interesting and intriguing. Listen, I get it. You know, he burned his own child at the stake. He's a terrible human being. However, yeah, terrible. He would have been a pretty good king. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I have, and of course, we had to use that quote as our intro because I just love that. The thousands. Um, and I have in my notes, Stannis, after that line, Stannis is so fucking hardcore. Yeah. With him, with him, there's no price too high. Um, and we'll hear more about that during our interlude. I have a song lined up called No Price Too High about Stannis. But it's true. He's willing to sacrifice thousands of people here for the cause to get the crown. Um, he's relentless and he will break before he ever bends, just like that famous saying goes that that um that i've referenced before that analogy comparing stannis and renly and um and robert where it said that renly is like the copper that he's flashy but doesn't have much substance that stannis is the the iron that he he's 
tough and rigid and will break before he bends and that that Robert was the true steel you know and that he was the only one that ended up being really being a king so it you know we see the truth in that by what ends up playing out um so although there there are times um that that Stannis does bend when he re-strategizes and changes his course or his tactics like uh when he decides to ride north to save the realm to win the kingship instead of winning the kingship to then save the realm so that was like you know we do see him you know change a little bit with new information when he sees a better strategy come with me and take this city so that was another epic moment and then as stannis is riding towards the shore we hear an interesting um musical like a different manipulation different different version of the game of thrones theme as stannis is riding towards the shore and it's it, it has like sort of a chaotic feel to it which is cool and as you said stannis is the first man ashore um <laughs> true true king mm-hmm. george washington um with a crazed look in his eyes and this mirrors sansa's conversation like i mentioned um about how a real king fights beside his people like rob and it stands in contrast, mirrors Joffrey abandoning the fight, as you mentioned, with your parallels. So Stannis gets to the wall, and it's, it reminds me of Normandy, where you have to get from the shore. I was just thinking that. I, I thought that, too. Oh, yeah. I just thought of it right now. Uh, but any time that, that something like that happens, where you're trying to get through gunfire to get up to a, a target wall or something, it makes me think of that. So for anybody who doesn't know what we're referencing, the uh, D-Day... World War Two and Normandy, France, the the Allied forces arrived in amphibious amphibious vehicles, and as they arrive to the shore, there's this long sloping beach at Normandy, heading up towards a, a hillside, where German bunkers were built into the into the into the face of the hillside. Really, really uh, thick German bunkers with machine gun turrets pointing right towards the shore, and it's a wide beach. It's like like i don't know one to three hundred feet of of beach it's like it's like it's like a good sized beach so these guys had to traverse quite a distance through machine gun fire and mines and obstructions and barbed wire to get past these the uh the range or the you know the line of sight of these turrets and it's very remindful of this situation where everybody's trying to run through the arrow fire and all these guys are getting taken out but a few lucky guys managed to get to the wall stannis is one of them and as he is, um, he gets underneath the, embattle- the battlements and he looks, he looks at this guy in front of him who runs up next to him. And this guy gets bashed in his head with a rock and spattered, Stannis is spattered with blood all over his face. And this moment reminds me of that movie Saving Private Ryan, mm-hmm. where that guy gets his face blown off right next to Tom Hanks. Yep. Um, so I, that was probably an homage to that, I imagine. And um, so that's, that was a great moment. And Stannis gives the order, the mud gate, go now, first and second squads, to the gate, to the mud gate, right? So they all start going. And um, and he, they, by the mud gate, they start lifting up the ladders and making preps, preparations for the, um, for the, uh, the ram. And as you said, again, Stannis is the first man up the ladder. And I have, wow, he does not give a fuck. He's absolutely fearless and relentless. And... Uh, amazing from this perspective and he's an incredibly talented fighter kills a couple guys at the top with ease using some interesting moves where he's gripping the sword 
with two hands, one hand on his own blade, which is pretty interesting. And uh, this is where I have written down, he doesn't get enough credit for his combat skills because he is a vicious warrior. Even when he's grievously wounded, uh, or gravely wounded, uh, right before he dies, he manages to take out those, like, three guys that all attack him at once at Winterfell, remember? Yeah. He, yeah, I do. Very talented. He, like, plays a lot. Yeah. He's so awesome. Um, So Stannis is fighting atop the battlements and literally cuts the top of that dude's head off, Michonne style, which is so crazy. And uh, it's around that point when he looks over and sees that the uh, Tywin's army has arrived and is taking control. And he has to be literally dragged, kicking and screaming away Mm -hmm. from the battle by his own men who see they've been defeated. Um, and if, if he they if he had had his way, his relentless uh, attitude would have gotten him killed here, you know. But they had to, they dragged him away. Um, the men are screaming, "Back to the boats!" And he's yelling, "Stand and fight! Stand and mm-hmm. fight! Damn you! No!" As they drag him away, <laughs> it's great. And so that, that's the end of uh, end of Stannis for this episode. We pretty much covered his whole storyline with that, and uh, I just thought it was great from start to finish. One of the strong Stannis episodes, and we get to see a lot of cool stuff. So what's interesting about that um, is that um, in the original script, Stannis was at the beginning, and he was not in the rest of the episode. Oh, interesting. And it wasn't until Neil Marshall wow. came in that he said, why do why are we not seeing Stannis? Like, Especially he, if Joffrey's hiding, Stannis can't be hiding. He you know? wrote in and added all of Stannis's scenes. That's so cool. This episode. So it's very, very cool. Wait, so I George R. R. Martin wrote it and didn't include Stannis? <laughs> yeah. I yeah, wow. he cut him out of this of this episode, which I think interesting. is interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. What he was willing to let I, go. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear his uh his reasoning for that. Yeah. I be, that, yeah, yeah, that cool. would be interesting to know. Right. I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure if we looked hard if if we looked a little Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's interesting because um, he said, oh, here we go. Um, it says um, Neil Marshall had a week and a half of prep before the start of shooting. Marshall was puzzled by the script in which Stannis disappears once the fighting at the wall starts. The entire sequence of Stannis climbing the wall, fighting off the defenders and watching his army's defeat before being dragged from the field was added by Neil Marshall. Oh, all right. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's a good decision. I do. Yeah, I do too. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Oh man. Plus we, yeah. And one other thing I noticed about Stannis, um, many people, as we see throughout the series, their wardrobe changes and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll change their armor. Even like with Jon Snow, we've seen him in various outfits, various armor (laughs) styles, you know, Stannis always wore the same armor. And I think that fits his character that he's like bare bones, minimalist type uh Steve type Jobs. dude <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> he would have the like the bobber uh motorcycle stripped down with nothing on it you know very you know n- probably no shocks you know what i mean mm-hmm. like yeah he would who that's the type of dude that he is so it makes perfect sense he's got his armor that he likes he wears it all the way through the series um and it's really fucking cool looking too if you get a chance like take a good look at the uh like his his chest plate um, and stuff on his armor. It looks really cool. I like it a lot. I will. Um, That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, that wraps up my number four. I think that ended up being. Yeah. So um, what do you got next? 
Was it your number four? Because I've done one. You've done three. I've done three of them. Okay, so how about I go ahead to the next one then? Okay. Okay, so my number three is the battle itself. Opens up on Davos' ship as guys puke in, and we see Stannis and everything, and uh, and um, we talked about that part for the most part. We have a, a brief little religious conversation, which is interesting, where Davos is still, you know, we get that hint that he still hasn't been converted to the Lord of Light. And he's talking about, he says, gods be good, right? And his son corrects him, God, you know, father, there is only one. <laughs> I have written Mathos Seaworth is an idiot. And then, <laughs> and then I have right under it, such an idiot. Like I kept going back every time he would speak and just add another, he's an idiot. Classic. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he, uh. And so if we get to see Melisandre's whispered prophecy play out. Yep. Remember? So that was mm-hmm. exciting. Um, what did she say? Like a fire's death? A, f- a death, death by, by fire is, a, is like the purest, purest form. form of death or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, so that's cool. We get to see, you know, that evidence that she can see the future um, play out. Wasn't expecting to even mention Melisandre. That just sort of happened off the cuff there. So that's cool because it's important um, mm-hmm. that we see, see this I'm evidence that, that she's for real. Yeah, me too. So we learn that the walls have never been breached, that the, um, you know, they're, they're, our ships outnumber the, the royal fleet 10 to 1, our army, their army outnumbers theirs 5 to 1, because they have like 100,000 people from Renly's forces, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty crazy, except for the Tyrells. So then back on the boat, we hear um, the bells of King's Landing ringing. And this is that transition thing again, which I thought was cool how we're seeing people's reaction. And um, and Mathos, like you said, he's an idiot. He's like, they're welcoming the new king. Idiot. Right. Yeah. And so Davos says, I've never known bells to mean surrender. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, they want to play music with us. Let's play. And that's when the drums start. So in response to the bells, they start boom, 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 doing the drums, which is cool. Love that. I, I love that part. Yeah. Then the next battle thing we get again is when we're back on Davos's ship again, and um, they're starting to enter the, the bay. And Davos says, where are their ships? Because he's suspicious. Something isn't right. You know, he can tell. And yeah, because Mathos- he's a seasoned warrior. Right. Well, kind at least of. a seasoned smuggler. Yeah, you know? <laughs> he's kind got of. A, his intuition is honed for he's, sure. He's bad at fighting. We his, we know this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. He says it. He says he's as much uh, when they're fighting when Jon Snow's about to be revived. Hilarious. Um, but he, he he operates well on intuition, which which is something that a good fighter has. So I can understand you making the connection there. His intuition is honed from smuggling. Mm-hmm. Um, so he can tell something's wrong. Mathos, the idiot's like, it's wise to attack at night. You know, we took them by surprise. <laughs> Such an idiot. <laughs> and and he's like, Lord Varys knows what you had for breakfast three days ago. Son, I you love know, that and, line so much. Uh, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's no surprising anybody here. Um, so he knows something is up. But his son is ever hopeful. And... Um, if there easily, you know, if there, he says, continues, maybe, you know, if there's true dissension, if it's true, there's dissension in their ranks. Maybe the soldiers have mutinied Davos, maybe plays along with it. Um, 
and so another next battle bit we get is the hound another great line from the uh from him as he his his motivational speech for his group we saw Tyrion's motivational speech right now the hound's motivational speech is any man dies with a clean sword i'll <laughs> rape his fucking corpse <laughs> so that's good incentive to you know get your hands dirty out there i love it uh, yeah, the hound's the best. So chaos rages, there's fighting and confusion. It looks, in general, just like a horrible place to be. That's when Lancel gets the arrow under his arm and vacates. Looks painful, honestly. Um, ah, it's, ah, ah. <laughs> it's so stupid. Ah. I love it. Oh, yeah, so yeah, the hound goes out there to fight, and that's when Tyrion sets up the sneak attack, right? And, and, uh, and gets attacked, taken out by Mandon. And then we we see Lord Tywin's army approaching. And that's when we get Renly and we, or we you know, Tywin, or Tyrion thinks he sees Renly. And um, it's like Renly's ghost is coming back from the grave to sabotage Stannis, who killed him shamefully with dark magic. And it's like the, the karma coming back to get Stannis, I feel like, you know? Yeah. Which is funny, sort of symbolized um, by, by Loras, who decided to wear the armor. And there's, like, rumors of Renly's ghosts, you know, and stuff in the books, which is cool. I uh, like that whole thing. So then we obviously, Tywin's army is coming to save the day. But Cersei doesn't know that, right? So we had seen her in the beginning as, as Maester Pycelle has shown up and is speaking very bizarrely to her. He's trying to tell her that there's hope and we're wondering why. And we find out... It's because he's trying to offer her psychological counsel because he's delivering nightshade to her and knows that she's either going to try to kill herself or other people or something. So he's trying to say, you know, like, you don't need to do this. And she tells him to fuck off, basically. Be careful on the steps. There's there are so many. <laughs> there are so many. <laughs> Hilarious. So then um, she abandons the ladies, like you mentioned, and that's when Sansa steps up and starts reciting the hymn and everybody's singing along with her and Cersei's sitting with Tommen on the Iron Throne preparing to poison them both and the camera keeps ominously facing the big wooden doors as if they're going to be knocked down any second which they are but not by who we think uh, which is funny so they're sh shouting in the background and she's whispering him to, to Tommen who's sitting on her lap shh be calm my sweet they're still fighting no one's going to hurt you let me tell you a story and she goes on to tell the story of the little lion and the mother, mother, um, the mother lion and the little cub who lived in the woods, the king's wood, and there were horrible, evil creatures out there, stags, you know, and Tommen sees through it, which is funny. He's like, stags aren't bad. They just eat grass, you know, <laughs> which is kind of funny. She mentioned six um, animals. Yeah, they're all symbolic. I didn't, I'm not sure who the fox represents. Yeah, so yeah, because it was stags, wolves, bears, foxes, birds, and beasts in the sea. Right. So yeah, um, bears is the Mormonts. Mormonts right? from the north. She even says bears from the north. And foxes, I don't know. Birds, I, um, other than Littlefinger, little but he made his I own sigil. I think that's what she's probably referencing. Because there's seven kingdoms. Oh, Seven Kingdoms. Did she say, is there one for each kingdom, you think? Well, so if the Lannisters are a kingdom, right? Right, they would, they would represent the King's Landing. Correct. So then we have the... six others. 
We have yeah, the skags, what... the wolves, the bears, the foxes, the birds, and the beasts in the sea. Right. Okay, we'll have to we'll have to look into that and yeah. see what we can figure out. But um, I just I counted I, I wrote it all out and I was like, They're two, definitely three, four, five, from all the areas, you know, so I'm sure mm-hmm. that it does exactly I'm sure that it is representing one from each. We've got the Kraken, um, which is I can't remember what, the Riverlands or something. No, the I don't Kraken? Remember. Yeah, what where what kingdom Pike. are they from? Pike, but what what kingdom is that? Uh, the Greyjoys, right? They're not I their mean, own kingdom, though. The Ironborn, yeah, the aren't Iron they? Islands. That's aren't they part of another like one of the seven? The seven kingdoms well, are I what the, they were the North. Oh, they're part of the North. Um, so we got the North, the Riverlands, the Reach, the um, the Crownlands, the Stormlands, and Dorne, and um, the Riverlands. Did I already say that? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We'll look into it. We'll yeah. figure it out. It'd be interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's one for each. You're probably totally right. I mean, I know, I know that they're all from all over. She's talking about every different direction. So, right. I have a feeling sense. somebody who's listening is going to post something on our Facebook page and set us straight. Yes. Please do that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, so that's when, um, you know, she's, she's telling him this story and, painting all the other families as bad and he's not buying it and and which is fun and he's asking questions and she keep continues with the story and she's popping off the cap of the nightshade little bottle and she's just about to pour it in his mouth and she's you know the cub said will i be strong and fierce like my father yes said his mother you will be strong and fierce just like your father i will keep you safe my love i promise you as she lifts the vial to his lips the doors bust open loris storms (laughs) in with crew and removes renly's helm revealing that it's actually loris and um I'm, i'm sure that most viewers never even picked up on this that um it's like the the antlers coming off the helmet and stuff I never noticed it visually. I only knew about it from reading the books, but watching it now, I can see it and realize the significance of it. And so I'm sure a lot of people listening didn't, weren't aware about that. Um, so that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Neat little thing to point out that they don't really say explicitly. Um, they reference it later on, I think at some point, but it's visually shown, but they don't tell us. It's like book knowledge that allows people to pick up on that stu- type of stuff, but it's fun to notice, know that it's there. It's that weird sash that Renly had everybody wearing. Yeah, I like that. I think it's cool. He had it like tucked under part of his breastplate and Mm -hmm. like draped over the other half. Renly did very stylishly, uh, which (laughs) which was cool. So then Tywin enters the room, helm under his arm, covered in grime and blood. Father, (laughs) the battle is over. We have won. And the grin on Cersei's face here is just priceless. It is the funniest, funniest smile. Um, just, And she drops the nightshade, and they're saved. And that's when the reigns of Castamere come back, and and we hear them. Uh, and, the, you know, and it's that guy. The National. Oh, yeah, the National. Oh, yeah, it's pretty cool. So that pretty much wraps up uh, that whole battle storyline that, uh, yeah, culminates with Tywin... Coming to save the day. We weren't sure exactly what had happened until that moment because we had seen the army arrive through Tyrion's perspective, but it looked like Renly, so we weren't, you know, we didn't know what was going on. And um, we see um, Stannis getting dragged away, but we don't know exactly what is happening. And then, boom, the door opens and we know it's Tywin and that we figure out exactly what's happening. So that's like the big reveal 
mm-hmm. which is cool. I would love to know, um, you know, somebody who had never read the books watching this episode, what was that like, you know, for the first yeah. time? Just because, I mean, because like you said earlier, we do know that, you know, given Ned's death, uh, the previous season and the penultimate um, episode of season one, that, you know, it was possible that Tyrion could die. It was possible that Cersei could kill herself and Tommen. It was possible that this was the end of Lannister's. Yeah. Right? Which I mean to us now seems preposterous. Aside from Tywin who is wasn't at the location. Right. 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 At, yeah. Yeah. You're but right. he would have, you know, he would I guess he was still capable of creating a child, but um Well, so is Jamie. Yeah. Cuz he wasn't there either, but you know, I mean for the most part it would have been the end. Um True. So it, it's just I, I'd love to know that perspective of, of somebody that has not read the books on yeah. what that first experience was like. Here's another little thing to um, to entice people who haven't read the books. So in on the um, on the show, the older characters are pretty old, like how old is Charles Dance and how old is, you know, Walter Frey? I guess Walter Frey is really old in the books, too. But, you know, some of these characters are altered in age for the TV show to make them seem as old as like comparatively for our society because in in Westeros if you're an old guy you're generally a lot younger people just don't live as long mm-hmm. so they've sort of like corrected or changed people's ages to create the same sort of cultural impressions for our society as they would um, for the show I think for the TV viewer so except for Maester Aemon yeah and a couple of people who are super old like Walder Frey um too um but so tywin is a bit younger on the show and so is ned ned's like his mid 30s um tywin is probably mid 40s maybe and um maybe early 50s but he he he's he is a big big powerful dude and when he goes into battle he always finds like a strategic point to watch from as the as he controls and manipulates his 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 forces below you know and um he 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 has this big huge cape of cloth of gold which covers his whole body and covers it drapes down over this whole rear end of his horse down to the ground level and flows in the back when the horse is running so it's this crazy huge cloth of gold cape and he has these giant lions one on top of each of sh- of his shoulders that are like clasps for the cape and they're attached to his shoulder armor mm these huge giant lions on top of his shoulders and a big lion on the top of his helm. The way that it's described is just so like glorious seeming and like this crazy crimson red armor, if I'm remembering correctly. So um, everything on in the books is just way more extravagant in detail and just like, like a, a whole next level of like, um, like flamboyance almost where the, like the details are just so exaggerated and just really, really cool, you know? So that's like, a, you'll get more of that type of just wild descriptions. Yeah. Yeah. Just wild, uh, fanciful, extreme type of, um, impression of things from the books. So that's, it's really cool. Like Tywin seems really imposing the way they describe him. So I definitely recommend reading the books. Do that. Email us. We'll send you a free book. Read the books. <laughs> so yeah that um, pretty much wraps up uh my number three how about your number that two? was awesome thanks nice retelling of that battle 
<laughs> Thanks. <laughs> From all sides. <laughs> um, so number two is going to be very small. Um, it's just Lancel, Lancel Lannister. <laughs> nice. And just the douchebag that he is. Um, I, I, titled, <laughs> I titled it Lancel Ruins Everything. Because <laughs> nice. he does. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, okay. Here, here's what I'm having trouble with. Why? Why was he going to Cersei? Like, is he the one that told Ser Mandon to kill Tyrion? It wasn't Joffrey, right? So I, I don't know. I, Tyrion I mean, thinks it was Cersei, well, right? Isn't that what we find out that it was Cersei who ordered it? Well, of course it was, right? But I mean, at this at this point. Oh, you mean like who? Well, maybe Ser Mandon already knew, you know, right. before. But what I'm saying is, is like, was it a plan like with Lancel and Cersei? What, like, was he in on it? Oh. You know, um, because he kept going back to her. I mean, he went back me. to her twice, you know, and he's yeah. and, and then he's first he's like, OK, this is what he comes in. He goes, the battle is lost. I'm like, how do you know you haven't been out there? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I mean, he's going in there and he's feeding Cersei like all of this ridiculous information, which yeah, causes wrong. her to go with the vial of Evening of Nightshade with Tommen. Right. Into yeah. I took note of that, too. The throne room. And then you have, you know, he's he's out fighting for like, what, 15 seconds, maybe. I mean, yeah, that's being like that. generous before he's wounded <sighs> and runs back behind the gates. Right. Um, and then, you know, he's just, he's like this little worm that just keeps showing up everywhere (laughs) and he doesn't have all the information, but he thinks he's superior anyways. And then, and then he tries to get, you know, mouthy with Cersei, which was the dumbest thing he could have done. And she, you know, she pushes him to the floor. Knocks the shit out of him. Falls down. I mean, right at that moment, it's like, dude, you have no shame. Like, you're willing to fall like a wounded baby animal in front of all these women. Yeah. You know, your hair is flowing. And I mean, it's like if Loris, it's like if if Loris Tyrell was this weak nincompoop. Is what like because Lancel has long hair and he's kind of playing at fighter or whatever. And then you look at somebody like Loris who has, you know, I, I physically I'm saying like they kind of look alike. Right. Similar build. Right. Similar stuff. build, hair, facial, you know, qualities, whatever. And you see these two totally different people, <laughs> you right. know. Um, so. So anyway, I thought maybe. Lancel was going in to maybe get permission from Cersei to like go ahead with whatever plan that there was, you know, okay, it's it's getting bad. So let's remove Joffrey. But then she's like, Joffrey needs to come back. The battle's lost, but Joffrey needs to come back. Like I, I, I still confuses me. On oh why no, he Joffrey had already come back and she, he said the battle's lost. He was coming. No, oh, no, no. oh, oh, he was trying to get Joffrey to come back, to come back to okay, the battle. Yeah, 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 correct. Yeah. And, um, but so the first time it was, you know, 
she's he's telling Cersei what's going on, and she's like, "Get Joffrey, get get him away, right?" Right. That's so, what I thought you were talking about. <laughs> no, no, no. Right. No. So he then he goes back, back and he's like, "You need to come back." But then he was like super wishy washy about it in front of Tyrion, you know, because Joffrey's like, well, "What did she say? Did she have urgent business with me?" And he's like, "Well, I don't know, man. I mean, she said just come, come on." Like he wasn't <laughs> he wasn't giving Joffrey the exact verbiage that Joffrey needed to to play it. Right. The way that he wanted to play it, you know, so. Yeah, to play it, it off like he needed to go. Right. And so it's just the whole thing was awkward. But yeah. from, I, I never it was like he was a half step behind everybody else and never realized it. Yep, that sounds about right for Lancel, right? <laughs> He's a wet noodle. Yeah. Generally. Speaking. So anyways, I just I, I just had to talk about Lancel and how I, I really think that he's somebody that just ruined a lot of this battle just by being Lancel. Yeah, there's one moment where he shows up and it's it's when she ends up um, beating him up, basically. But I have written Lancel shows up to debrief Cersei in a non-sexual way this time. Because that's when he's like, the battle is lost. The forces are at the walls. The battle is lost, Your Grace. Yeah, that's so funny. It's time to drink the evening of nightshade. Yeah, so that was your number two, right? Yeah, that was my number two. Short and sweet. My number two is Sansa and Cersei. Ooh, nice. Um, And class time. So, um, let's see. The first mention we have that they're going to be together is when Tyrion shows up and he says... To Sansa, surely my sister has asked you to join the other highborn ladies in Magor's Holdfast. And she has, my lord, but King Joffrey sent me off, sent, sent for me to see him off. See him off. And that's when he makes her kiss the sword and everything. And he's just such a scumbag. What? Right? <laughs> and I return, when I return, you can kiss it again and taste my uncle's blood. Right? And that's when she starts taunting him like, oh, you're going to kill him yourself? <laughs> and everything like that. I love Sansa. Yeah, paralleling Arya, like I said. um, I love that, how they're both, like, speaking out of turn, sort of. She's getting a little snippy with Joff. And with Tyrion. Yeah, true. Um, I like it when she says, yeah, I'm going to pray for you, just like I'm praying for Joffrey. And he's like, oh, fuck, so not at all then. Damn it. (laughs) No, he smiled. I love it. He smiled because he, I think he was really impressed with her. Yeah. And her line, uh... I'm sorry, Your Grace. You're right. I'm stupid. Of course you'll be in the vanguard. They say my brother Rob always goes where the fighting is thickest, and he's only a pretender. (laughs) (laughs) You know? (laughs) It's great. Soon your brother's turn will come. Then you can lick his blood off Heart Eater too. I like the name of his sword, Heart Eater. That's pretty cool. Until he gets Widow's Whale. Yeah. Kind of a weaker name. Um, but I don't know. It's still kind of cool, I guess. Um, He's stupid. Everything yeah. he does is stupid. Yeah, he doesn't even name that. He lets somebody else name it. Widow's Whale, right? I mean, that's kind of a cool move for a king to do because someone feels special and everyone's like, oh, he's connected with the people. He cares what we think. But um, Boo. Yeah. Um, so that's when Joff and his crew roll off to go to the wall. Um, oh, and I forgot to mention that during the battle scene, we get to see everybody's reactions to the wildfire, and Mace, the, and Wisdom Helene is like laughing, right? And Tyrion is in horror, and um, the Hound is terrified. Joffrey looks like Alex from A Clockwork Orange during a bit of the old ultra violence, or maybe some of the old in out, in out. So then 
we, we cut to the to, to the the air place in the red keep, red keep where um, Cersei and all the ladies are. Cersei's wearing an armored what looks like an armored corset, which is pretty badass. And at some point, she does tell Sansa, right, like you should get armor or something like that it might help, <laughs> right? <laughs> Remember that? And um, so yeah, she's always into wearing armor. I like that, especially um, now. Yeah, especially on this night for sure. Um, so we get we learn that Sir Illyn is there when, um, and I have written down school is about to start too because like this is sort of like Cersei imparting information to Sansa constantly throughout this episode, right? So she sees Sir Illyn and she is freaked out by him and she's wondering what he's doing there and she explains that that um. Well, that's Sir the man that killed her father. Them. Yeah, that's the guy that killed her father. And she's just always been scared of him, remember? Mm-hmm. When the hound saved her from him. <laughs> he scares you, doesn't he? You know, he he, he won't talk to me. He hasn't you know, he had much no to tongue. say since the, uh, the ripped his tongue out. Yeah. So um uh Cersei asks her <laughs> You look pale, child. Is your red flower still blooming? Yes. Fitting, isn't it here? Isn't it? The men will bleed out there and you'll bleed in here. And she pours Sansa some wine. Like everything she's doing is just making Sansa feel very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and so she asks about Sir Illyn and he's there to protect them, you know. But we end up learning that uh, that's not exactly the case. She explains that we've paid the guards, but, you know, if the city falls, they're going to be the first ones out the door. Um, and then it turns out that people have been caught stealing and uh, Cersei orders Illyn to take their heads and for them to be put up on spikes. So this is how um, Cersei rules by fear. She says that it's important to make sure that the small folk, you know, she says the only way to keep small folk loyal is to make certain they fear you more than they do the enemy. Remember that if you ever hope to become a queen. Drink. And this is a, yeah, this is a very Tywinian approach to rulership. Um, which is very different and opposed to a Danny or Jon Snow style of leadership based on respect, or mm-hmm. even when Tyrion d- demonstrates uh, in this episode, right? Um, Tywin pioneered this, or at least executed well, the style of using fear to rule, which he um, demonstrated when he destroyed the houses of Rain and Tarbeck and uh, eliminated any resistance or um you know, quick, uh, any talking back of any of his bannermen <laughs> at that point, right? So mm-hmm. he's ruled by fear ever since and very effectively. Um, it's like sort of Machiavellian. He's a very Machiavellian character, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it turns out, she says, you said he was here to protect us. And uh, she says, he is. Traitors are a danger to us all. More wine. Uh, Sansa. And we get another scene. We come back. Sansa, come here, little dove. My queen, what are you doing? Praying. You're perfect, aren't you? Praying. Oh, spit that out. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Uh, what are you praying for? For the gods to have mercy on us all. Oh, for all Even of us. Me. Even me, of course, Your Grace. Even Joffrey. Joffrey is my. Oh, shut up, you little fool. Praying to the <laughs> gods to have mercy on us all. The gods have no mercy. That's why they're gods. My father told me that when he caught me praying. Doesn't believe in the gods? Yeah. Um,. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Um, he he believes in them. He just doesn't like them very much. <laughs> um, sit, drink. Not like that. Drink, girl. And I have Cersei finna get Sansa, white girl, wasted. White girl? 
<laughs> um, and Cersei continues to lament about her uh, Jamie envy slash complex and about how she wishes she was born a man and how she'd rather face a thousand swords than being shut up in this inside here with this flock of frightened hens. And she keeps coming back to that, you know, that she's always felt like she, she was meant to be a man, that, you know, she was meant to be a fighter, that she's meant to rule. Um, and she is pissed at, at Jamie for squandering his own potential as a man. Um, so I think that's like sort of an underlying um, psychological thing with Cersei that doesn't really come out until later when she really starts getting snippy with, with Jamie. Um, I don't think well, she realizes she it yet. She emasculated him throughout his entire life. Yeah, true. I mean, she just pummeled him down into a little nub of nothing. How did how did she do that earlier in his life? I just think that, you know, I mean, the way that she treats him, she's like, he's like, all he could think about was coming back to her. And like, right. it took at least after long. he loses his hand, you know, it's like something no, changed after um, like during that time period. Well, I think this is actually anymore. I think this is the moment, actually. Um, Jamie's been captured. It's great that you're bringing this up. Um, this is the moment where Cersei, everything changes for Cersei now. She is just about to kill herself and her her son. Jamie wasn't there. If there's ever been a moment in her life when she needed her brother, it was this moment. Mm -hmm. Which is probably where all of her anger came from, the whole episode. She's right. talking about, oh, me and Jamie this and me and Jamie that. And, you know, her she has a brother that she hates that's there that she doesn't want anything to do with. Her dad's not there. Her mom's she's, dead. Yeah, she's had a, a psychologically traumatic um life to some extent. I mean, yeah, she's queen. She's been in a rich family, but she's, you know, had marriage problems and, and she lost a young child. She's married to somebody who has 20 bastard children. Right. You know, yeah. Marriage problems is putting it very lightly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is the moment when, when Cersei becomes a broken man, you know, much as the way that the hound is a broken man or that people break in battle. Some it's, some it's on their first battle. Some it's on their hundredth battle. This is the moment that breaks Cersei, and when Jamie returns, he doesn't return to Cersei. He returns to broken Cersei. Um, he can tell something has changed, and he says, no, "What's changed?" And she says, "Everything." Right when she when he comes back. Mm -hmm. So this is the moment when all that happens. Um, this is Cersei's breaking point, uh, which I just sort of like just sort of hit me at this moment. I think it's really important to point out. I would agree with you. Um. Yeah, so that's, that's and her pretty, dad pretty saves cool. her. Yeah, her brother doesn't save her. Her dad right. saves her. Yeah, and she loses him. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, fairly. You know, two seasons away, but you know, he, yeah. So that's that's yeah. So this is very traumatic. We know she loves nothing more than her kids, right? And she was just about to kill them, mm -hmm. or at least the ones that she could. The one. So uh, yeah, this is a big big turning point for Cersei. So she's talking with Sansa and um, and uh, she's she's talking about how she should have been a man. And Sansa's saying, you know, these are guests under your protection. You asked him there and she's like, it was expected of me as it will be of you if you ever become Joffrey's queen, queen. If my wretched brother should somehow prevail, these hens will return to their cocks and crow of how my courage inspired them, lifted their spirits, when in fact it ends up being Sansa who um, lifts, lifts their spirits when it really comes down to it, right? When, mm -hmm. the, city, when the city is falling. Um, and, and Sansa says in another sort of ballsy move, stepping out of line kind of, and if the city should fall, 
Right. And, Sansa, and uh, Cersei says, you'd like that, wouldn't like you? Like that, wouldn't right? you? And Sansa really has no fucking clue because, see, she is hoping for it. She thinks she'd be fine. Stannis won't do anything to her. She's hoping the city will fall. You know, no question about it. Right. So she doesn't understand. Cersei is about to school her here. <laughs> she says, the Red Keep should hold for a time long enough for me to go to the walls and er, and yield to Lord Stannis in person. You know, if, if there were anyone else outside those gates, I might have hoped for a private audience. But this is Stannis Baratheon. I'd have a better chance of seducing his horse, right? Because he doesn't play <laughs> that shit. Except with Melisandre, because um, she manipulates him and I knows him well enough to get him to do it with her, I guess. Um, have I shocked you, little dove? Tears aren't a woman's only weapon. <laughs> There's one between your legs. Learn how to use it. Drink. Drink. Um, <laughs> that, that just reminded me. I, li- I listened to this other podcast. Um, I think it's Behind the Iron Throne. It's, it's a good Game of Thrones podcast, too. And whenever somebody says Gendry on that podcast, they say, drink. Mm-hmm. So it's like a drinking game <laughs> that, that listeners can play if they want to. Uh, that's pretty funny. Oh, so I she tells that. Sansa to drink, and she's getting Sansa drunk. Um, and she's like, do you have any idea, any notion of what happens when a city is sacked? No, you wouldn't, would you? If this, if the city falls, and this is when it like takes a quick transition to the hardcore, these fine women should be in for a bit of a rape. And I've written down, oh shit, super blunt. And Sa- Sansa's like taken aback by that. You know, half of them will have bastards in their bellies come the morning. Well, because she would, I mean, she's still having nightmares of, of her Being almost raped. raped. Right, exactly. Just horrible nightmares. That's uh that was recently, right? Woke up with her um receiving her her red flower, right? Mm-hmm. From a rape dream. So um half of them will have bastards in their bellies come the morning. You'll be glad of your red flower then, huh? So if if you've read the books, this is you, there's more detail. Lolly's Stokeworth, remember? She's raped by like fifty guys, and uh, ends up with a bastard in her belly. Remember that? That's the. Do you know how that... long it's been since I've read Clash of Kings? <laughs> a bit. <laughs> That's the lady who uh, who uh, Bronn ends up being betrothed to. Of course temporarily. they gave. Of course they gave him her. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't give a shit. He just wants that castle. <laughs> he just wants the castle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, we do find out in season four that Lollies was gang raped um, when Cersei arranges for the arranged marriage between Bronn and Lollies. So we do find out. So it's not a book spoiler. Okay, good. So she's super blunt with Sansa, who's terrified, and she continues to say, you know, when a man's blood is up, anything with tits looks good. A precious thing like you will look very very good. A slice of cake just waiting to be eaten. And Sansa proceeds to chug the wine. And that's yeah, when, at that when, point I would too. Yeah, finally she realizes the situation that she's in. Like, she really had no grasp before this moment. Living in her fantasy land. And again, right. this is the moment, like another cha- like um, turning point for Sansa where the, she realizes that the songs are fake, kind of. And a moment where she loses innocence and chugs the wine. Right. Symbolized by that um, chugging of the wine. So uh, Sansa, yeah, like you were saying, Cersei is talking about how Jamie and they, and she and Jamie looked so much alike, couldn't tell them apart. She could never understand why they were treated differently. And this is so important for her psychology. She wanted everything that Jamie had. Jamie was taught to fight with a sword and lance and mace. She was taught to smile and curtsy and sing and please. He was heir to Casterly Rock. She was sold to some stranger like a horse to be ridden whenever he desired. 
and this is another moment of realization for jo- for uh, Sansa that it's not like the songs. You know, she's like, but you, you're Robert's queen, right? And she's yeah, like, and you'll be Joffrey's uh, enjoy. And she's like, oh, shit, maybe, yeah, maybe this is sort of common. People are put in these situations that they don't like. You know, it's not like the songs. Everything's not perfect with royalty and with with like these the, the nightly situations and stuff, you know. Right. So it puts everything into perspective uh, for, for Sansa at that moment. And that's when Cersei notices Shay. And I'm like, oh, fuck. The jig is up. Um, I don't think I know this one. Pretty. And she curtsies and gives her the instruction on how to curtsying and how to how to curtsy and says she mastered it when she was four. And I thought it was interesting. That's the second time. It's the second time that Cersei mentions being four in this episode. And I think that plays into um, the severity of her psychological trauma that she's going through now, too, as well, because it's like her life is flashing before her eyes mm-hmm. this whole this whole night. Right. <laughs> and she's thinking back to when she's a kid and reliving Absolutely. all of this as she's preparing herself for death. Yeah. She's she, it's, it's like, she's already decided she's going to die. Yeah. She knows that Stannis has a hundred thousand people probably, you know what I mean? And her knight in shining armor, Jamie is nowhere to be found. And her son is crazy. Yeah. She's always had Jamie and she's lost her rock and she has nothing to rely on. Her son is a lunatic. Jamie's, you know, captive, um, she thinks Tyrion is trying to get everybody killed anyway, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. So this is like a major breaking point for Cersei. I so still she, don't feel uh, bad for her. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's hard, really hard to feel bad for her. But it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's easy to understand, um, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whether or not you empathize. So um, we get to, she, she starts questioning Shay, and she's like, you learned fast. Um, how long have you been in, in Sansa's service? A few weeks. When did you leave Lorath? Ten years ago. Um, so you've gone, in ten years, gone from being a Larathi commoner to becoming to the, to the Red Keep without learning how to curtsy. That's got to be an interesting story. And so her learning that probably helps her figure out and put two, to, two and two together that Shay has arrived about the same time as, as Tyrion. So that's how she probably ends up figuring out how to compromise Shay and figuring out that Shay is with Tyrion. But it's interesting because last week Shay made her comment about, um, I'll cut off the, all their faces, mm-hmm. which was a faceless man type comment. And this is Shay's moment to play the game of faces when... when um, and tell her story. She, right. Cersei says, what's your name? Shay, your grace. Tell us a story, Shay. It must be a very interesting story how you got here in 10 years without learning to curtsy. And she begins, when I was 13, I, you know, and she's interrupted. Um, right? I would she's like to hear potentially, that story. Yeah, they could have given us insight if she started talking like and very was very convincing that could have been more of an argument that she could be a faceless man yeah maybe but it's more that like that's just that illusion that she would have been telling a story here and essentially playing the game of faces just one episode after we discussed her potentially being a faceless man because she mentioned cutting off faces it's just very interesting Mm -hmm. she was taken out too easily to be a faceless man potentially but um, there's a lot of allusion to that being a potential, like a possibility. Um, so we are interrupted as the door opens and Lancel bursts in, telling us that the imp has set the river afire. Hundreds of ships are burning. 
Stannis' fleet is destroyed, but the, sh- the troops have landed outside the city's walls. Where is Joffrey? He's on the battlement with Lord Tyrion. Bring him back inside at once. And this is when she gives him the orders to go get him. But, your grace, the king's presence is good for morale. You know, bring him back to his chambers now, bitch. Um, <laughs> not here? With the women and children? Do you want him to be mocked as a coward? He's going to be mocked anyway for leaving the battle. Um, especially since Lancel doesn't give him a good reason to do it, like you mentioned. But this is about to get real um, because Cersei is just about to admit to Sansa that Illyn is really there to kill them if it becomes necessary. When I told you about Sir Illyn earlier, I lied. Do you want to hear the truth? Do you want to know why he's really here? He's here for us. Stannis may take the city. He may take the throne, but he will not take us alive. So, So Sansa's learning like what's really going on. And then the next time we're back, that's when Lancel debriefs Cersei non-sexually this time and uh, <laughs> then knocks the fuck out of him and he whines like a little stuck pig and that's when Cersei like freaks out because she thinks all is lost and leaves with Tommen or yeah like you said to go try to kill themselves and Sansa steps up um, and like her future husband Tyrion provides the morale needed for the women and children to uh, be strong in this tough time and I think everybody reacts very well to her. Lancel wasn't loud enough with that news for most of them to hear it so Sansa heard the truth but she, she tells the noble lie as what Plato said tells the noble lie here to um, to give everybody courage in this time of this, this traumatic time when everybody's about to die to at least stave off the panic as long as possible you know right and um, so she 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 says don't be afraid the queen has drawn raised the drawbridge this is the safest place we can possibly be joffrey's not hurt she doesn't know that he's fighting bravely she knows that's not true his knights have rallied behind him she knows that's not true they will save the city she's just been told that the city has been taken right shall we sing a hymn and she starts singing before anybody can react or do anything and everybody starts sing like chanting along and it's just like a really powerful moment shows you how powerful Sansa has the potential to be shows you how she can take control of a situation when she needs to and manipulate people in the way that like uh, to create positivity if if needed um it, it just shows that she's capable of more than we had necessarily known at this until this point you know mm-hmm this is like her moment. She transitions she's, to learn that the songs are fake um, or not necessarily all true. She steps up to be a leader for the first time here. She's um, she's better on a rewatch. Yeah, yes. You Once know, you know like how things go, and yeah, she's much she, better on a rewatch. I'm enjoying her character more, much more than any any previous rewatch uh, that I've experienced this time. I would agree with that. Me too. I think that she, you know, watching her so young and then even, you know, she's grown so much since season one, you know, into season two. And with this episode, you know, she's she's just so good at playing this game that I don't even think she realizes how fully she is playing this game. You know, she's just trying to live, but She's also, I mean, she's learning, she's taking everything in and she's, um, she's getting the information that she needs to, to be who she is now going into season eight and who she is now going into season eight is a far cry from the little girl that we saw in season one. So she's hardened. Yes, very much. So it's fun to go back now and see how she got there. Yeah. 
and that's a that's a big uh, credit to Sophie Turner. Yeah, good great credit to Sophie Turner, and she's changed so much, but but she has kept her same like spirit and and hope and everything, which is good to her see. Honor. Yeah, her honor, her her sense of morality. I really seems. think that she is a true lady. Like she is the epitome of what a true lady is in yeah. Westeros. She's much like her mother in that respect, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think Probably Catelyn is a great so. example of a lady. Yeah, more so, I would agree. Um, she's that's all she's ever wanted to be was a prim and proper lady. You know, that's like been her focus. But so, she, you know what? She did not expect to be the lady that she is now. I mean, no, different she, kind. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, she's yeah. leading Winterfell. She is the leader of the North she in wanted John's to be absence. The mother of children, you know, lady of a lord. Now she's essentially mother of a kingdom, lady lord. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's and cool. she's killing it. Yeah. So that's this. That pretty much wraps up Sansa's um, storyline in this episode as well. Shay grabs her and wants warns Sansa to leave to get out of there, to go and bar her door, and um, that Stannis won't hurt um, her, but Illyn will. So um, she needs to go, and, and um, uh, Sansa tells her to come with me, and she says, "I need to say goodbye to someone." The Queen says they'd rape everyone. <laughs> no one is raping me. She pulls out her, you know. But shows Sansa her dagger, and this is the moment that I keep been imagining and thinking of this. Like it, I keep bringing it up, like every week. Um, but this is it. Go, run! And Sansa runs off, and uh, we hear the the women continuing to chant. So let's take a quick break and talk about Audible, and we'll be right back with our number ones. For you, the listeners of Game of Microphones, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a thirty day f- trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I've been recommending consistently um, a Game of Thrones. But this week I want to try recommending something different. I want to tell you about a book called Dead Men's Secrets by Jonathan Gray. And it's a compilation of over a thousand archaeological anomalies and things that are out of place. Uparts, out of place artifacts, they call them, that are categorized in different ways. But it's, it's, a, it's a big compilation of all this crazy weird stuff that you'd never imagined existed. Reports of giants, nanocarbon spirals found mining hundreds of feet under Russia, areas that are in in the Israeli desert that seem to be bombed out by a nuclear weapon. The desert has been turned to glass. Um, thing, crazy stuff you'd never think about. So I highly recommend checking that out. If you want to uh, download that for free, you can go to audibletrial.com slash G-O-M. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash G-O-M, as in Game of Microphones. If you don't want that book, um, my next book is going to be Ready Player One. Uh, It's going to be a movie soon, so I'm sure that that is going to be great. What's that about? Uh, That is set in the future, the year uh, 2044. It says, reality is an ugly place. The only time teenage Wade Watts really feels alive is when he's jacked into the virtual utopia known as the Oasis. Second life. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> when so it just it looks like it's um, there's something that has wow, to do with the race. Crazy. And I, I don't know. I mean, I've seen the previews. It looks pretty cool. A lot of people like the book. So I'm going to give it a try. We recently became an affiliate of Audible, so we got our link so you guys can get this free 30-day trial and everything. But um, 
even before we did that, you guys know that I would talk about Audible anyway. So I, I really like Audible, and I'm, I, I want to encourage you to try out the tr- the free trial. I think you'll be really impressed. Um, they have great policies. Yeah, I like Audible when I'm on long car rides. I frequent oh, yeah. I frequent long car rides, and one of my uh, one of the things that I do to kind of get through a book or, or stay awake is I actually speed it up 1.5 times right. the rate. Yeah, and that's it, one of the cool things you can do. Yeah, you can speed it up up to I think uh, two and a half, three times. Uh, I don't know how anybody would ever listen to it. One point five to me is perfect. Yeah, definitely. Um, two is a little crazy, but they yeah. got all kinds of cool policies. Like you like a book, you want a friend, you want to share it with a friend because you want to talk about it with someone. Send it to them for to them for free. That's how I send you guys the you know the audiobooks too. You guys email me and I send you a free book. That's why Audible's cool. They have all kinds of awesome policies like that. Or if you don't like a book, you can exchange it, no questions asked, anytime up to like a thousand days after you buy it or something ridiculous. <laughs> I, oh, it's not a thousand, awesome. but yeah, really cool. I've I bought a I downloaded a book by accident before and uh, did that, and it was just like they say, super easy. So yeah, check it out at audibletrial.com/gom. Thanks, Audible. Yeah, thanks. And thank you. All right, so we are back. How about you uh, give us your number one, Kristen? So my number one is going to be kind of short and sweet, but it's going to be awesome. Nice. And that is the badass men of Westeros. Cool. We talk about the women a lot, and there's a lot of strong women, but in this episode, I think that the men are really highlighted, and I think uh, there's a few that... We've already talked about that are amazing. The Hound, Braun, uh, Tyrion definitely is probably shot up there to number one. Not Lancel, not Joffrey. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have Loras, um, Tywin, and we have Podrick. Um, I think Podrick deserves a, a big nod for oh, this. Hell yeah. For this episode, the Pods. You know he. He was he wasn't even a squire. He's never even been a squire. He's probably just put armor on, you know, people. If and that. here he is in the middle of this huge battle for King's Landing and he kills one of the King's Guard to save the hand of the king. I mean, and he does it without even thinking and he does it with a spear. Wow, that's crazy. So, um killing King's Guard. You, know, you just got to give it up to to the little guys, in my opinion, right? When was it that that uh, Pod got introduced? Oh, I think two or three episodes ago, very recently. We didn't make a big enough point of that. No, it was. I think it was when um, when he and Cersei, when Tyrion and Cersei were having a meal of some sort, and uh, and he said, "Oh, right, oh, thank he was you, there Podrick, to pour the wine." And, yeah, and. Cersei made fun of him or something like that. But, um, you know, you have Stannis, you have Davos. These are two very strong men, strong characters. And throughout the episode, they are. Uh, throughout the series, they are. So um, each of these men that we see go on this great journey or, or you know, uh, survive against, you know, impossible odds like Tyrion and, and Stannis and even Davos, who is floating in, in the bay somewhere yeah let's uh let's talk about davos for a minute because i realized i must have skipped over a section with him um when i was talking about the uh, the battle because we get in there and he's leading the ships and everything and he's the first person to realize that there's wildfire right 
Mm-hmm. And right. he sort oh, of no. panics. He sees that there's one ship and the one right. ship is through there. And so he's like, oh, they only have one ship, idiots. Okay, Mathos, you're an idiot. But Davos is like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. And he he has the archers ready to go. And he's like, you know, he's like, draw. And he's like, hold, hold. Very Braveheart style, right? Huh. And then he sees that green liquid that's coming Wildfire. out of the yeah. But so it's like says, at that point, what do you do? He's, yeah, he's like, just get away, steer away, steer away. So everybody's trying to get away and he he runs off over and then um that's when he sees the arrow flying overhead. And Mathos, before it yeah, Mathos. he yells from Mathos, get down and boom, he gets taken out. Mm-hmm. And there's that amazing shot as Davos is launched over the the uh, banister of, like, the railing of the ship, and as he's flying through the air, falling, plummeting down into the water, the ship is disintegrating and falling apart piece by piece in front of him as the fire just blasts through it. Right. One of the single coolest shots of anything I've ever seen. Um, Right? Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah, and then there's all those shots of the explosion continuing and just these ships just being... Just evaporated by the wildfire. You're screaming. Ah, ah. <laughs> yeah, awesome. guys on fire. And I don't know how where that ended up in my notes. Somehow I skipped over that whole section. But it was epic. Some yeah. really, really epic stuff. And he somehow stuff. survives that. Yeah. You Read know? the books for more details on how. Read the books. Hydra. Um, so yeah, so I just wanted to just kind of not give, give a little nod to the men of Westeros because I think, um, you know, they, there are some really, really amazing men of this, of this world. And, you know, a lot of them are jackasses, but they're amazing. They've got great character development, great character arcs and Stannis. Oh my gosh. Like you said earlier, Stan, this is one of Stannis's best episodes. Yeah. Um, without a doubt. And this is one of Tyrion's best episodes without a doubt. This is where we see the hound finally break free of his, you know, of his leash. Cersei um, breaks so and the speak. hound breaks free. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Podrick becomes a man by sticking it to Sir Mandon Moore, right? And soon he'll become another type of man by sticking it to some other yes, people. Yes, he will. Bron <laughs> saves the hound's life. Yeah. You know, there's just everywhere you look, you have you have a lot of um, honor and you have a lot of... Um, Heroism, heroism, and, and bravery. sacrifice, bravery, courage, absolutely. So, you know, in the that's, face um, of death, you know, yeah, absolutely. You you see what everybody's made of, and it's nice to know that not everybody is a Joffrey. Yes, <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> so that's my number one, short and sweet. <laughs> Good one. Thanks. What's so your number one? My number one is the turning of the hound, brought to you by Bron. And this also includes Browned and Sansan discussion. Browned? <laughs> yeah, Bron and the Hound combo. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bron's hanging out in a tavern with the Lannister soldiers, singing the reigns of Castamere, having a good old time. And uh, we were talking about earlier how Jerome Flynn, the actor, is part of a was part of a, a boy band, right? So he's a singer professionally in real life or was Robson right? so, and Jerome Robson and Jerome yeah so check that out um they have music videos and stuff it's great 
and he's yeah he's a talented singer so it's cool we get to see him sing again there's a number of occasions where we get to see him sing it's here we get to see him singing the um the dornishman's wife when he's riding through dorn with sir jamie atop horses disguised in the um the dornish garb after they kill a couple of those soldier guys and then we hear him singing again when he's in the uh, he finishes the dornishman's wife which never got to finish at that one scene when he's captive in prison imprisoned in Dorne across from the Sand Snakes and he's sitting there finishing the verse about the Dornishman's wife and that's when he's talking with uh, that one cute Sand Snake about she says she's the most beautiful woman and he realizes he's been poisoned and whatnot. Yeah. Long story still long so we learn that he's uh, he's singing here at the at the tavern so eventually um, he, he gets this girl on his lap here and I'm thinking, oh my god, this is the girl that Baelish wiped her face down before she kissed that guy. Miss Gross. It's so gross, right? This is that yes. same girl. So I'm thinking, don't kiss her, Braun, and he kisses her. <laughs> LOL. I don't think he really cares. No, he doesn't give. He doesn't care. He doesn't know <laughs> either. Uh, so at that point, he's. Uh, it's funny. She she tells him she likes his nose, and it looks like it's been broken a bunch of times. And he starts recalling the different times it's been broken. And he's stripping her as he tells the story, which adds like a, another cool element to the scene and shows you how slick he is in another type of way. He's just the man all around, you know? <laughs> yeah. And um, it's about that time when the hound enters with a friend and Bron welcomes him, you know, cheerfully and says, this round's on me, you know, I'll buy him a drink. He's you know, a stand-up guy, Bron. That's, that's mad cool. Right, even though he's <laughs> his enemy's lapdog, essentially. Yeah, that's right? true. So uh, it's cool, Bron. And so the hound doesn't respond or anything. He sits down in silence. Um, the uh, <laughs> the uh, Bron kind of laughs and says, uh, "He doesn't like me, right? <laughs> this one doesn't like me." And the hound says, "You think you're a hard man?" <laughs> he kind of like laughs himself. I know it. <laughs> right, <laughs> great moment. Everybody laughs. It's it's warm in here. We've got beautiful women, good brown ale, plenty for everyone. And all you want to do is put one of us in the cold ground with no women to keep us warm. Oh, there's women in the ground. I've put some there myself. So have you. <laughs> right? You like fucking and drinking and singing, but killing, killing's the thing you love. You're just like me. Only smaller. And he steps up. He stands up and starts lumbering slowly towards him. And I have written down, yo, the hound is so fucking badass with the slow walk. And 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 Bron responds, and quicker. Right? I <laughs> which, love him. Which contrasts the slow speed of the hound's walk at that moment, which makes it even more clever, like the way they planned this whole sequence out. And it's quick wit at the same time, so it's very quick. In, you know, of Braun just to say that, right? <laughs> so <laughs> the hound kind of chuckles, hey, Lord, your Lord Imp is going to miss you. This is when he threatens to kill Braun in the same episode that Braun saves his life, man, right? So Braun puts his drink down. I slaps a girl's leg on, that's sitting on him, the naked girl who's been sitting on him. I expect he will someday, you know, that he's not going to be missing me today because I'm not going to die, right? So right. he steps up to face the hound, puts his hand behind his back, gripping the the, uh, the the handle of his kukri, 
That's one of my favorite things about Braun too is his weapon choice. Kukri is an awesome weapon. So I uh, love it that it's just on his back and he's right. just he grabs and the hound it like an old friend. Doesn't necessarily know that. Yeah, he's just yeah. He just so casually reaches back and the hound would have not necessarily any clue what he's doing. Really, um, I so, think the hound uh, could take him. Uh, oh, it would be a great fight. Um, I don't know if the hound would be able to catch him. You know what I mean? It could play out sort of similarly to um, the the fight at the uh, at the Erie when he fights um, Servardus Egan. I don't think that the hound would the hound go after him. The hound is not that him. clumsy or stupid, right? So I think it would might depending on the uh, the type of environment, it could end up being a stalemate. Um, well, where maybe. like it, um, unless they because Bron doesn't want to fight him, right? So Bron wouldn't necessarily engage unless he had to. Um, but I mean, it's it's yeah, it's really interesting. It would be a really really good fight. The hound is, yeah, he's definitely on that list, that top three list probably for Jamie, right? But Jamie didn't know about Braun. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. I can't. I couldn't. I have a hard time picking picking one of these two. We do know that Braun did not want to fight the Mountain, though, um, based on the information we get from him when he visits Tyrion in the Black Cells. So um, that at that moment is when you know he's gripping the Kukri behind his back, face to face with Braun or with with the Hound. They're sort of staring each other down. The Hound's got that just total like blank psychopath look. Um, and I love that too. He says, you're just like me, only smaller. And he's just so huge compared to Braun, right? And it's at that moment when the, the bells ring, they start tolling and everybody starts, starts like clamoring to go fight because they realize that Stannis's attack is imminent and they're still standing there facing off with each other. And Braun says, eventually one more drink before the war, shall we? Right. And sort of like nods his head over like. And the hound turns and starts walking, and I have written down, I'm so glad that the hound accepts Bronze offer. I think, I think that they'll both come to learn that they're better as allies, you know, and what a powerful duo that would be. Hopefully this moment where they decide to chill together instead of fighting, hopefully this foreshadows us seeing them together again in the future. For all oh, we know. I think so. Yeah. For, I mean, for all we know, they kicked back, had a drink, and became good old buddies after this moment, right? I seriously I mean, can't wait to see the fight. I, right. I, I just, I, oh my gosh, I, I cannot wait to see them the, up. This, this upcoming war with everybody that's still left all together at the same time, fighting the Night King. and the, It, it, it yeah, excites me be, just to think about it. Yeah, it's going to be insane. I can't wait to see with my eyeballs. Yeah, totally. We got to stay busy with the rewatch till then. (laughs) I know. But then when you talk about, you know, you talk about the two of them together and I'm just like, "Ah, I can't wait. (laughs) Oh, I know. It's going to be so cool, though. Um, So, yeah, I think that'd be really cool. And I think that a future um, collaboration um, is hinted at again later in the episode when Bronn ends up saving the Hound's life. And, um, you know, he they sort of have that glance where they, Bronn smiles at the hound. Yeah. The hound is just sort of like in a daze. And, um, but yeah, I think that, that, uh, they both are signifying that we're going to see a friendship or mutual respect in the future and what a combo that would be, man. Yeah. It would have been nice to see Bronn as a part of the East Watch seven. Yeah. Imagine that the hound just like brute force fighting everybody and Bronn just skirting around the side and flanking everybody with his grace and finesse while the hound just hammers right through the center. Like, that'd be the unstoppable combination. 
Oh, that'd be so cool. I'm like um, off in daydream land, just imagining it. Nice. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's nice where I am. <laughs> yeah. So then we're we're back on the on the. Uh, that's like the the beginning of you know Bron saving the hound as them sort of getting along here. The hound not killing Bron is what allows Bron to save the hound, which is what allows the hound to turn against Joffrey. So the turning of the hound is brought to you by Bron. Uh, That's true. Which is what my number five was. Um, so the hound is looking around chaos in the battlefield, and you hear. Like he's just looking at all the stuff burning, and you hear "Ah, help me!" And a man starts running towards him, and he's he's ablaze, right? He's just lit up, and he's flailing his arms. And he's running at the hound, and the hound freezes. It's the first time we've seen him freeze with fire, right? We're, we will see it again when, um, at least temporarily, when he fights the uh, Barak Dondarrion, and then again at Hardhome, or not at Hardhome, beyond the wall, when he's almost. Uh, I think killed up there at some point by fire. I don't know. I don't remember. But um, so the guy gets struck with an arrow to the eye right before he gets to Sandor and sets him ablaze and rubs the wildfire or whatever, or whatever all over him. You know, oh, I think it was a flaming arrow that got him on fire. But um, thank fuck that Bronn saved the hound at this moment. Yeah, he um, would have died. Yeah. Like he froze. uh yeah, it's crazy. That's his thing, you know? Like, the Hound is a broken person, too. This is a moment... This is also, like, a breaking moment for him as well. But in in, in breaking, he sort of is repairing himself, if that if, if that makes any sense, you know Oh, I mean? it absolutely makes sense. Yeah, it's so... He's, like, broken, he freezes, he just stumbles off, and um, Bronn effortlessly dispatches a couple of Stannis' men in spectacular fashion while... Sandor's watching, and then he stumbles off and walks through his um, walks through the gates right as uh, right as they're closing behind him. And Sandor is looking. Oh, right! Actually, before he before he um, walks through the gates, he's looking around, all overwhelmed. He sees the heat rising from the fires, which is a really cool camera shot. And he he turns, walks off, stumbles off, almost like looking as if he's operating purely on instinct. Stumbles back through the gate the doors close you can hear people screaming fall back fall back faster you bastards come on kill the scums and then he steps in somebody bring me a drink you know so he gives him water fuck the water bring me wine yes all-time classic moment right there and Tyrion, can i get you some iced milk and a nice bowl of raspberries too <laughs> eat shit dwarf <laughs> you're on the wrong side of the wall i lost half my men the blackwater is on fire and right as he says that his voice cracks like a great performance by rory uh mccann here i can't say rory amazing the blackwater is on fire and that's when joffrey Steps in like a fucking idiot. He doesn't I know who he's dealing you. with. Dog, I command you to go back out there and fight. Idiot. <laughs> and then Tyrion, your Kingsguard, Clegane. You must beat them back or they're going to take the city. Your king's city, you know. And that's when it happens. And Nettie, Nettie Serta's love in this moment. Fuck the Kingsguard. Fuck the city. Fuck the king. And naturally, it both reminded us of the same thing, right? Half-baked, 
Yep, fuck you, fuck you, fuck <laughs> yeah. you. You're cool. That great fuck guy. You. I'm out. <laughs> working at Burger World or whatever. Yeah, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. Fuck you, I'm out. Yeah, uh, so that's basically what the hound does here. It's everybody's dream of a bad job. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> so that's epic, and he storms off. And the next we see him is when Sansa, after Shay sends her off, Sansa is gets back to her chambers. She picks up a doll, which must represent something, right? It's a symbolic thing. She picks up a doll. It represents childhood, innocence. Safety. Um, we've, you know, she started off this episode um, still believing in the songs, thinking that Stannis would take the city, that she'd be saved, right? All of that. She's shocked to hear that the hound is in her chamber. And she gasps when he she hears um, him say, the lady's starting to panic. And she says, what are you doing here? And he says, not here for long. I'm going. He says, she says, where? He says, someplace that isn't burning. <laughs> no, he hates fire. North might be, could be. And she says, what about the king? And this is another one of the best lines of from the entire show. He can die just fine on his own. Yep. Which is great. And this is, you know, that moment, the first moment where he vocally articulates his, his humanity and begins the repair from the break that just occurred out in the midst of the wildfire. And he starts to want to do the right thing. He sees, you know, the way that Bronn treated him and realizes that that he's fighting for the wrong master. He wants to fight for the good people now, right? So he offers Sansa to... to save her he offers to be the knight the shining knight that she's always dreamed of but she can't see it because of his burned face you know it's so sad it really for, is for both because of them. they're both in need of each other yeah so he says i can take you with me take you to winterfell i'll keep you safe do you don't you want to go home you know and she says i'll be safe here stannis won't hurt me and she won't look at him you know and it's we had um, Jamie have a Joker moment a couple weeks ago, and he was in the in the pen, right? How many of your friends have I killed, you know, or whatever? Right. And uh, this week, the Hound has the Joker moment where he says, "Look at me." Um, or like the Hound, like the Joker does when he's filming the the guy who's pretending to be Batman, Brian. Mm-hmm. Right? Are you the real Batman? No. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Right. So the Hound has this "Look at me" moment, and. Sansa looks at him and she has a great moment here with this. Stannis is a killer. The Lannisters are killers. Your father was a killer. Your brother, a killer. Your sons will be killers someday. This world is built by killers. So you better get used to looking at them. Right? Because she won't look at him. Best piece of advice she could have gotten for what was to come. For what was to come, yeah. Facing down most disgusting of foes um, on various occasions, right? Whether, no matter who it is, um, but she she's you know she gets confidence when she, once she's looking at him she realizes you know that she she can be confident right and she that it's not it's not as bad as it seems once she once you look once you you realize that it's not a monster or whatever you know once you turn on the lights investigate things your perspective changes right so she looks at him and she gets confidence and she says you won't hurt me and he says no little bird I won't hurt you. And that's when he, you know, leaves, and he's not wearing his coke, his uh, his co- cloak. We see at that point. 
Well, I don't think he wore the it the entire episode. Yeah, I don't remember. I, I think you're right. Yeah, we. so he walks out of the room, and the way we see him exit the room is from a camera shot that's placed by Sansa's hip, like mid-thigh from behind her. And as he exits the room, we see her, she had started the scene fixated on the doll and focused on the doll. And as, you know, she got then got distracted by Sandor. And as he leaves, we see that she, she drops the doll down by her side. She doesn't drop it, but she lowers her arm and the doll is hanging down and it's no longer the focus of her attention. And I can't help but think that that must be like a symbolic... Um, you know, mean something symbolic for Sansa, like that this is the point where like her innocence like really ends and that she starts to learn more about the way the world really works. She learned about all that stuff from Cersei about how the women would be raped, how that Stannis wouldn't be able to protect her, you know, that all this stuff is a lie, that this is a big transitional moment for her as well. Big transitional moment for Cersei when everything changes for Cersei big transitional moment for the hound as he breaks and and quits and changes his life path big moment for sansa as she transitions from an innocent child to to someone who's uh, more aware of reality and the way things work as she begins to learn how to play the game etc mm-hmm. um and so yeah um this is another big important moment like sandor reaches out becoming more human. Sansa, Sansa rejects it because she still hasn't come to the full realization that the monsters aren't the ones with the burned faces or the twisted dwarves, you know, yet she's beginning the learning process now. But it's, yeah, I think that's a good way to uh, finish up my point is that this is a transitional period for everybody that we see the hound, the hound turning and everything I just talked about. Yeah. It was excellent. Thanks. Do you have any other notes to talk about? No, I think we've covered it. All right. I think that's a good way to uh, close out our top five then. This is a transitional episode in every sense of the possible, right? I mean, mm-hmm. for Tyrion too, he loses his job. Dynamics change for everything. We will be right back with news about Game of Thrones. This is Principium with no price too high from the perspective of Stannis Brathian during the Battle of Blackwater Bay.
That was Principium with No Price Too High. And in the spirit of the epic episode and the mega-length episode of this podcast, I figured we'd play this whole epic song. Thank you to Principium, and please check them out and buy their albums. Great band, really talented musicians, and this is a great song. And we're back with the news. Our first item is from an article from Screen Rant. Peter Dinklage says it's time for Game of Thrones to end. In an interview with Variety at Sundance Film Festival 2018, Peter Dinklage briefly discussed Game of Thrones Season 8, offering only spoiler-free details about his and the cast's feelings towards the end of the show. After eight seasons, the actor feels it's finally time for the series to end. It's time, story-wise, not just for all of our lives. It's the perfect time to end it. Sometimes shows stay on a little too long. The jumping of the shark thing. It's bittersweet when it's time to move on with everything. It's always the sad part of our business because you get pockets of great people for short amounts of time, and then you have to move on, and it's always heartbreaking, especially when you've spent more than a couple months with people. So yeah, that's totally understandable, right? Yeah, I think that they're all feeling it that way. Yeah, gotta be. Eight years together, man. Yeah. Gosh, in so many different countries, too. Yeah. Uh, The next item is an article from uh, winteriscoming.net. Game of Thrones stunt team wins at the Screen Actors Guild Awards. The cast. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) The cast and crew of Game of Thrones showed up for the 24th annual SAG Awards on Sunday. They came, they saw, they did. Okay. Game of Thrones has never performed spectacularly at the SAG Awards, which honor the best in acting in TV in TV and film. Peter Dinklage was nominated for an award for outstanding performance by a male actor in a drama series, his fifth nomination, but lost to Sterling K. Brown of This Is Us. But Dinklage still won something as he was also nominated for outstanding performance by a cast in a motion picture for his work in three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, which is getting a a lot of awards buzz in general. Beyond that, the cast of Games, Game of Thrones as a whole was nominated for outstanding performance by an ensemble in a drama series, the sixth time it's been nominated for that. It has never won, and it didn't this time. Again, This Is Us took home the prize. But Game of Thrones did win one award, and it's the one it's taken home each and every year it's been on the air. Outstanding performance by a stunt ensemble in a television series. Damn. Makes sense. Game of Thrones stunt work is pretty unimpeachable. Congratulations to stunt coordinator <laughs> Rowley Erlim and his incredible team. Unimpeachable. Interesting use of words there. I like it. <laughs> Our next <laughs> item is an editorial an editorial from winterscoming.net. Oh, this is our weekly uh, continuation of Game of Thrones as myth. This week we're discussing Tyrion Lannister and the anti-hero's journey. And the article is by Richard E. Preston. What is the hero's journey? It is a basic narrative pattern common across all cultures and time that seems to be shared by all heroic characters. With this in mind, mythologist Joseph Campbell designed a paradigm, also known as the monomyth, to identify the universal stages of the hero's journey. This time, we're taking a look at Tyrion Lannister. Tyrion Lannister, the imp, is a freak, a drunken, whoring, despised member of a notorious, powerful family. Notorious! (laughs) And yet, it can be argued that he is a hero, or at least a complicated version of the anti-hero. The anti-hero archetype is not 
as is some mistakenly assume, the same thing as a villain, but rather a darker, more conflicted version of the classic ideal hero archetype. Antihero is a slippery, quote, antihero is a slippery term that can cause a lot of confusion. Simply stated, an antihero is not the opposite of a hero, but a specialized kind of hero, one whom may be an outlaw or villain from the point of view of society, but with whom the audience is basically in sympathy, end quote, Christopher Vogler. Like, um, for instance, many characters in The Watchmen, or mm. um, I just had another good one. Robin oh, Hood. The Punisher. Oh, The Punisher. That's, That's a like, great one. Yeah, ultimate anti-hero. Um, yeah. I think that's enough. <laughs> yeah. In Tyrion, George R. R. Martin has given us a wonderfully complex character who operates in shades of gray rather than in black and white. Much good resides in Tyrion's heart, but he also has been abused by a brutal world and is capable of lashing out, sometimes murderously. <laughs> like Jon Snow the Bastard, Bran the Cripple, Daenerys the Exile, and Arya the Lost, he must overcome his own self-centered needs in order to sacrifice for the greater good, which is the essence of the hero. The Hero's Journey, Part 1, Departure. 1. World of Common Day. The hero, unfinished and incomplete, lives in his ordinary world before receiving the call to adventure. This is a stage described by Vogler, not Campbell, but the world of Common Day is such a typical starting point for stories, I decided to stage it here. Tyrion Lannister's story begins in a Winterfell brothel. We see Tyrion in his everyday world as the dwarf son of Tywin Lannister. He's a hedonist. He's carousing around the realm, drinking heavily and seeking physical pleasure where he can find it. He has realized that he can never escape his deformity, so he's chosen to embrace it. I just want to stand on the top of the wall and piss off the edge of the world, says Tyrion. <laughs> King's Road, Season 1, Episode 2. Not exactly a real call to adventure. <laughs> kind <laughs> I of. I like that. <laughs> 1B of the hero's journey. Part 2 of departure. The call to adventure. The hero is presented with a challenge, problem, or adventure, and can no longer remain within the safety and comfort of the world of the common day. He embarks on a journey into this new and frightening realm. What is Tyrion's call to adventure? Let's take a look at Campbell's definition of this stage. The first stage of the mythological journey, which we have designated the call to adventure, signifies that destiny has summoned the hero and transferred his spiritual center of gravity from within the pale of his society to his own unknown. The fateful region of both treasure and danger may be variously represented as a distant land, a forest, a kingdom underground, but it is always a place of strangely fluid and polymorphous beings, unimaginable torments, superhuman deeds, and impossible delight. In Game of Thrones, that was a quote from Joseph Campbell. In Game of Thrones, Tyrion's call to adventure is forced upon him. Lady Stark and her bannermen arrest Tyrion for the attempted murder of Bran Stark. Tyrion is taken to the Eyrie to stand trial for his crimes. Tyrion's call to adventure, the bad luck of being captured by Lady Catelyn, is similar in its haphazard start to the rolling of the princess's ball into the pond of the Frog King in the old Grimm's fairy tale. This is an example of one of the ways in which the adventure can begin. A blunder, apparently the merest chance, reveals an unsuspected world, and the individual is drawn into relationship with forces that are not rightly understood. Joseph Campbell like many of the heroes in Game of Thrones, Tyrion is unwillingly cast about on the tides of fate as his adventure unfolds. 
similar to Odysseus in the Odyssey. Quote, the hero may be carried or sent abroad by some benign or malignant agent, as was Odysseus, driven about the Mediterranean by winds of the angered god Poseidon. Joseph Campbell. Number two, refusal of the call. The hero, not fully committed, considers turning back, but a mentor convinces him to remain. Tyrion's refusal of the call comes when his father, Tywin, installs him as the acting hand of the king at King's Landing in his stead. Tyrion's first instinct is to refuse the offer. Why not my uncle? Why not anyone? Why me? Tyrion says this in Fire and Blood, Season 1, Episode 10. Tywin responds, because you are my son. This is a big moment for Tyrion. It's the first time in his life that his father has given him real responsibility, even acknowledged him as a son rather than something more than a stunted dwarf. Tyrion is so shocked he cannot believe it. Number three, supernatural aid. This doesn't really apply to Tyrion unless you consider Bronn's fighting abilities supernatural. And this is, uh, this is, um, I paraphrased this from the article. And I added that it, since it was written a while ago, but it does apply once Danny comes in and into play and elevates him to her hand position because she's connected with dragons and magic, right? Mm-hmm. And you could also look at it from the perspective that Tyrion's supernatural aid is his um, his uncanny luck and his ability to survive the most um, you know desperate of situations. The Absolutely. I mean, think think about it. So many times he's escaped death, right? <clears throat> this episode, he we think he's dead. He escapes. He gets dragged off of the boat in ancient Valyria by the stone men. We think he's dead there. He escapes. He um, he escapes his trial. You know when he's supposed to die there. Um, he's just constantly um, propelled by luck. He's knocked out at the battle when he's in the vanguard with the mountain <laughs> tribes. Yeah. <clears throat> misses the whole battle by luck. You know, it's like his luck <laughs> and sometimes unluckiness or luck disguised as unluckiness. You know what I mean? Correct. Brings him to the right position where he needs to be and elevates him from a story perspective on his hero's journey. So I think that supernatural aid could exist, just not in like a manifest physical in, in form. Your face way. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Uh, number four, crossing the first threshold. The hero reaches the limits of his known horizon. Beyond lies darkness, danger, and the unknown. The beginning of the awakening of the self. Joseph Campbell. Tyrion puts on a brave face as he arrives in King's Landing, a place he has long avoided to act as hand of the king. The much-emphasized transition from wandering boy to man is underway, but more importantly, Tyrion has begun a journey of self-discovery. He is on his way to transforming from a discarded royal appendage to a brilliant player of the game. A famous example of crossing the first threshold comes in The Wizard of Oz. Dorothy is standing in the threshold of her home when the tornado hits, and when she arrives in Munchkin Country, her house squashes the first threshold guardian, the Wicked Witch of the East. Awesome. People have to be loving this mythology stuff, right? I think so. I like it. Yeah. Five, the belly of the whale. When crossing the magical threshold, the hero enters a womb to be reborn. So rather than conquering what lies beyond, the hero is swallowed into the unknown and may have appeared to have died. We heard you were dead, Joffrey says to Tyrion upon his arrival in King's Landing in Season 2, Episode 1. And again, this time, we think he's dead after this battle. People think he was killed, Mm. you know? Um, 
And so it's like a repeated thing. He just keeps escaping death. Tyrion takes control of the small council, and for the first time in his life, he wields real power. When Cersei asks him what he knows of war, he responds, Nothing. But I do know people, and I know our enemies hate each other almost as much as they hate us. It must be odd for you to be the disappointing child. That's from Season 2, Episode 1. Tyrion has been swallowed by King's Landing, surrounded by the court's experienced and powerful players, and he immediately begins to enjoy this new phase of his life. He instinctively knows how to play this game, and he has a talent for it. Uh, The Hero's Journey, Part 2, Initiation. Uh, Number six, The Road of Trials. The hero must undergo a series of tests, some which he will fail to prepare him for his transformation. The Road of Trials thread continues throughout the second part of the hero's journey. Some of Tyrion's tests include sparring Cersei, Maester Pycelle, Mm. Varys, and Lord Peter Baelish in the corridors of power, attempting to negotiate Jaime's release release, controlling Joffrey, and seeing to the city's defenses in the face of an impending attack by Stannis Baratheon. Then he faces trial and exile and capture and slavery to be handed the queen. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Number seven. I I paraphrased that last part, too. I added it in. (laughs) Number seven, the meeting with the goddess. The hero experiences losing himself in unconditional love, usually represented by finding the woman he will always love the most, his soulmate. While preparing for battle with Rob Stark's army, a whore named Shay is brought to Tyrion by Bronn. Shay will soon become one of the greatest loves of Tyrion's life. And this could also theoretically apply to Danny, as Tyrion seems to be quite fond of her in the later seasons. I would, ap- I would agree with that. Number eight, woman as the temptress. The hero faces sexual temptations which threaten to make him stray from or abandon his quest. Once again, we find Shay's center stage, this time in the role of the temptress. The age-old idea that the hero must remain pure and female flesh is an unwholesome distraction that can be found in many mythologies. One of the most famous is the Holy Grail quest in Arthurian legend, where the pure, chaste knight Galahad receives the the, the grail while Lancelot, the adulterer, is allowed no more than a glimpse. The unwholesome lore of the female theme is present is present (laughs) in Game of Thrones, though for sex-loving Tyrion, the problem is simply that he chooses women who are unsuitable for his station and whom his domineering father does not accept. Odysseus deals with the temptation of women, too, with the the sirens. The the sirens. And um, with uh, some princess. They carouse with the maidens, with gold and jade. Their senses fade. He's mesmerized. I don't know. That's pretty cool. I like the Odyssey. Number nine, atonement with the father. The hero must confront someone with the ultimate power over his life, often a father figure. And we see Tyrion facing Tywin repeatedly. Um, And this is seen in other things like when Luke faces Vader in a similar type of um, scenario. Yeah, I can see that. Although um, when Tyrion faces Tywin, it's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. It's just awesome. I, I thought it was awesome when Luke and Vader face off, too. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I felt like Tywin just had it coming. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, the uh, Luke and Vader is more of a tortured thing where, you know, Vader almost has this 
redemption at the end. You know, I mean, he yeah. saves his son. I mean, he did hunt down the Jedi Order and, you know, destroy Alderaan and right. oh, do no. a bunch of He's terrible stuff. Terrible. So he had it coming, but it wasn't yeah. like he wasn't torturing Luke the way that Tywin was torturing uh, but I mean, even to Tyrion. the end, Tywin was just like, I hate you. I hate everything about you. You're no about son you. of mine. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. Cool article, man. Yeah. So there's actually a lot more of that article, too. Um, head over to the website, winterscoming.net, and uh, explore that for yourself. You can just search for Game of Thrones as myth on Google, and you'll find it as well. And again, the uh, these articles are written by Richard E. Preston. So thank you. Thank you to Richard E. Preston. Yeah, it's really cool. Hope you guys have been enjoying the uh, Game of Thrones as myth. We'll be back in a second with Raven's Calls. Matthew Rep says, This episode had Cersei at her absolute bitchiest. She acted like that nasty divorcee at the 15-year <laughs> high school reunion who has had too much to drink and is just bringing everyone down. <laughs> Do we all believe that it was Joffrey that ordered Saramandon to kill Ty... Ty- Tyrion? Ah, do we all believe that it was Joffrey that ordered Saramandon to kill Tyrion? I know Joffrey isn't the smartest guy, but that might be too obvious even for him. Could it be Littlefinger not wanting another player as adept as him on the small council? He did something similar with the attempt on Bran blaming Tyrion. No. Mm. I always feel like, I feel like it's Cersei. Um, I don't remember specifically why I feel like that, but I feel like it's Cersei who ordered Tyrion to be killed by Sir Littlefinger's Manon. nowhere near King's Landing right now anyways. True. <laughs> Anna Punka says, Obviously, the whole wildfire thing is just so amazing, and there's so much great stuff going on in this episode. Here are some details aside from all the epicness I found noteworthy in this episode. The puke bucket on the ship is the first in the very first few minutes. Just thinking about the horrible smell. Ew. <laughs> Rains of Castamere everywhere this episode. Varies. I'm not entirely sure what you're suggesting. Tyrion. I'm entirely sure you're entirely sure what I'm suggesting. <laughs> Reminds me of he doesn't know they think they know what we know. <laughs> yes. The tiny little hands on Tyrion's armor that go around his neck. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Well, I'm going to have to go back and look at that. Stannis removes his cloak before he goes off to fight. No, no capes. capes. Yeah, Bronn. Also, and that's why the Hound wasn't wearing his, too, for sure. They all saw the Incredibles. <laughs> I haven't seen that. Um, also, I don't think I have to mention how much we all hate Joffrey, but I do have to praise Jack Gleason's incredible performance. I love how punchable he makes Joffrey for us <laughs> and how he always gets his facial expressions right on point. I love how he slips from sneery to whiny and back again. Oh, yeah, I agree. hundred percent. Jack Gleason's like the nicest, nicest guy you'll ever meet, too. It's really cool. Philosoph- he's a he's a philosophy major. Really? I'm sure he's done now. But um, yeah, he went to, I think, Oxford University and majored in philosophy. Nice. So there you that's go. cool. He's an intellectual. Uh, Sarah Larkham says this episode was amazing. I love how the hound just said fuck the king and went and just left halfway through the battle. The hound said fuck the king a few episodes back too. I loved how Cersei was a complete drunken mess with all the women and Sansa was all comforting to the women and Cersei was the complete opposite. Peter Dinklage was amazing in this episode. Agreed. Dave Halberg says... 
Love this episode. It's so well done. Some of my favorite parts. Tyrion's speech to the troops before he leads them into battle. Epic. One of his better moments. It's really a bummer that he doesn't get more credit for his actions before and during the battle. I agree. Mm-hmm. Cersei lamenting how all the songs are about honorable knights and fair maidens, not what really happens during and after a battle. Do you have any idea what happens when a city is sacked, Sansa? No, you wouldn't, would you? All you know of life you learned from singers. And there's such a dearth of good sacking songs. (laughs) 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 That's funny. Drink. Bronn. Yeah, drink. Bronn relaxing before the battle and the confrontation between him and the Hound. Bronn is not someone to trifle with. You also have to give it to Stannis. His actions were those of a king, leading his troops from in, from the front and covering himself in glory. Fuck yeah. Sir Patrick says, Noticed a small mummy hanging by a noose from a gibbet mounted on the tavern wall. Any significance? We got salt water. We got smoke. We have several characters undergoing symbolic rebirths. My PTWP award. Uh, Prince who... Oh, uh, what is that? Prince that was promised. Oh, Prince that was promised. There, yeah, yeah, yeah. Award goes to Davos for this one. Runner-up is Bronn, followed by Sandor, and then Sansa trails at fourth place. I'm coming to believe that the Lord of Light, ironically, favors Davos over (laughs) Melisandre. I agree. He gets kissed by fire here, loses his son, kill the boy, become the man. Let me tell you. Anytime a character inexplicably survives and there's salt and smoke involved, I don't dismiss it as weak writing. Melisandre's earlier assessment of good and evil when she says, if a fruit is half rotten, you throw the whole thing away. Simply not true about onions. I think the Lord of Light cuts off the bad parts in this episode. There's a conspiracy involving Pod. Not sure what, but I smell Pod-spiracy. He winces <laughs> when Varys mentions being cut. He knows something. Varys acts like he never met him before. Tyrion does the same with Shay. Pod-spiracy. Good point. Showrunners like to distract us with naked whores when subtle clues are dropped. Who is Bronn's little brother? Did Dario receive no discipline as a child because he was too quick for his mother to hit? Bronn-spiracy. Very interesting. Oh, son of a bitch. I can't believe I almost forgot to point this out. Tyrion's face as the wildfire explodes. Compare it to Cersei's in season six when the sept blows up or Danny's anytime she burns someone. He's a Lannister. They are not. Dragon spiracy. No, Ooh. they're just crazy. They're both just crazy. <laughs> I like that. A lot of good points there. I like the uh, kill the boy, become the man. What Maester Aemon said to John. Referencing Davos here, I'd never considered that before, that his son dies and he goes through rebirth, reborn amid salt and smoke from the wildfire and the bay. It's hardcore. Uh, it's cool. It's still Jon Snow. <laughs> yeah. Imagine <laughs> how surprising that would be if, if Davos mess, ended don't up Don't mess like, with John, me and Jon Snow, man. Don't do it. would be amazing. <laughs> Gigi Lugo says, tell Kristen to tell Duncan to tell the special guest that I can't get enough of Tyrion's conversation with Sandor, Joffrey, and Lancel. (laughs) (laughs) I love that Bronn is the one to shoot the arrow and set everything aflame. It's very fitting. I forgot that Lancel fought in this battle. Didn't think he had it in him. him. But I guess that's why he runs back to the castle and gets knocked over by Cersei. 
I just now realized why Sandor left the battle. It was, drumroll, all the fire. <laughs> I enjoyed the short scene showing Bronn's fighting skills. Also, I find it very intriguing that Joffrey's armor only has lions on it. No this stag in sight. Right. I know it's been discussed before, but it's funny that from the colors, clothes, etc., it all screams Lannister. Yeah, good points. GG, Nice catch. Man. Yeah, really good. Angelica Garcia Decker says, Joffrey in true form of a chicken running to hide below his mom's skirt. The hound pieces out in an epic goodbye. Fuck the city. Fuck the king's guard. Fuck the king. Yeah. That was probably what made him my favorite from then on. And Tyrion rises to the occasion and is a great leader, proves himself as a strategist. And as I recall in the book, a reasonably good fighter only to get struck down. Thank God for pod. Drunk Cersei is worse than sober Cersei. This is where I turned around on Sansa, too. She shows so much of the woman's courage she learned from her mother. In that moment, I knew she'd make a great queen, even paired with Joffrey. Huh. At the end, I was so sad for stupid Cersei and baby Tommen. She looked so afraid, and I hate her, but I know her fear wasn't just for her, but also for her son, who she knew Stannis would kill. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. That's why she's a complex character. Yeah, definitely. George. <laughs> good good job, George. Yes. Good job, Grim. You're Grim. Jillian eh. Moreau says, I love this episode. Bronn's confrontation with the Hound while drinking it up with the Lannister army was great. I think this is where we start to see the Hound show his conflicted side and that it actually ends up shaping where his story goes from here on out. He's got the best line of the episode for sure. And while we're at it, fuck Joffrey, too that insignificant excuse for a human being. He never ceases to make me hate him more and more each episode. I really like the scene with Cersei and Tommen on the Iron Throne while she's preparing to poison him to protect him. It was one of the few scenes where I actually feel for her. And poor Tyrion getting his scar made me sad on the rewatch since I knew it was coming this time. Keep, keep up the great work, guys. Smiley face. Yeah, Jill only recently started watching the show last April when oh, we really? all decided to uh, watch it on, on the, the Patreon group. page. Yeah, nice. and she, we were all <laughs> watching four episodes a week because uh, we did the math, and so four episodes a week got us to the season premiere. Um, and she just burned through the whole thing. Um, nice. She was, yeah, she was one of those people, you know, that's like, that's I don't understand the deal about Game of Thrones. And then you watch it and you're like, oh my gosh, Game of Thrones is life. Yep. Same here. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all of us, I think. Yeah. Uh, Nikki Campbell Smith said, I love the guest you had on last week. I can listen to her talk forever. Hashtag why are accents so cool? Ooh, and when getting some love. Yeah, you, I loved having her on last week. And while we're um, talking about it, we were supposed to have a special guest tonight. We had kind of teased it that we were having it. Our schedules got crossed. My fault. But we're we're going to have um, we're going to have her back. It was it was Rima Joe. Um, we've had her on before, and uh, we're very excited to have her on during season three. Yeah, so and I'm sorry, Rima. Sorry, that. I screwed that up yesterday. Can't wait to have you back on. Mandy Castillo says Tyrion's face wound in this episode is the kind of image that nightmares are made of. On first watch, I didn't think there was any way he survived. It definitely solidified his street cred. And if that yeah. made you think of nightmares, you need to watch Cube. 
right in the beginning. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Karen Karen Farr says, hey, guys, here's my top five. Number one, Barry's and Tyrion's discussion over Podrick sounded like Duncan and Kristen. You know <laughs> that I know that you know. <laughs> Number two, the score, music, and absolutely love the bells against the drums. Oh, me too, Karen. Number three, best line of the episode from Sansa to Shay that some of the boys will not return. Joffrey will. The worst ones always do. Number four, Shay is now on Cersei's radar. Beginning of the downfall of Shay and Tyrion's relationship. Knowing Shay's betrayal, do you think she truly loved Tyrion? Number five, wildfire. <laughs> so you know what? Now we know that people know that when we talk about how people knowing that other people don't know that they know stuff that I don't know where I'm going with this. Next. Oh we have my an- gosh. I, I totally was following you on that one too. So <laughs> oh, really? I'm like, oh, I can't wait for the end of this sentence. <laughs> of course, the one time where you could actually follow it, I didn't really have anything to oh say. Oh my gosh. I totally was following that. I said, okay, yep. Got it. Yep. I know. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I was they just making it up as I went along. We know. <laughs> Classic. We have some stuff from Instagram this week, too. Alicia Stout says, Hi, guys. I haven't had the time to watch it again, but I will admit embarrassingly that the first time I watched this episode, I wasn't very impressed with it. I guess it's because I didn't really care so much about a big battle scene. But every time I rewatch it, I like it more and more. Or I like it more as there is so much story involved. Not to mention the cinematography. Wow. Agreed. Yeah. I am so the opposite. I love the big battles. I think ha. that they're great. I like it all, man. Mm-hmm. I just love the big battles. I just get really <laughs> excited. I'm like, yeah, here we go. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Joey Cool 314 says, or Joe Cool 314 yeah, says, just look on, just the look on the pyromancer's face. Good stuff. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. And that's, that's our boy, Roy Dotrice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, RIP. Trojan underscore Gill says, I recently found out about this podcast on Spotify and I'm overjoyed. I can finally nerd out on a podcast. Hashtag House Baratheon of Dragonstone. Mm-hmm. All right. Glad you found us, Trojan. Thank you. Thanks for writing. Uh, we have some emails. Uh, the first one is from Nettie Serta. Wow, I had forgotten how badass this battle was and how beautiful that wildfire explosion looked. Hmm. Well, the hound may not agree. (laughs) (laughs) I really enjoyed how Joffrey's demeanor changed through this episode and how he goes from his typical sly smile to this chump. We really know he is. Yep. You'd think the fact that Stannis' army is about to knock down those gates stopped him from commanding someone to try and kill the hound right on the spot? Oh, maybe. Yeah, probably. I feel like his expression as this is happening is genuinely sad, which is a rare treat from Joffrey. And why (laughs) does the Hound dislike Bronn? I can't remember if there's any real reason. They're both equally cool guys, with the exception that Bronn does what he does for money. Tyrion by far ruled this episode, especially with his speech to his army as they were about to give up. I think that inspiration came from the hound since it wasn't really about fighting for the king. And then Cersei was just terrifying those poor women and insulting them all at the same time. (laughs) 
it's pretty predictable of her to want to die on the Iron Throne as she's about yeah. to poison herself and Tommen. Oh, it kind of foreshadows her dad dying on a different oh. kind of throne too, right? Oh, that's so funny. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Perhaps that's where she will die in season eight. Oh, that'd be awesome. I just can't wait for her to die. Yeah. Anyway, thank you guys for making this podcast happen and fuck the king. <laughs> Sincerely, Nettie. Thanks, Nettie. Um, man, imagine if Cersei wins the Game of Thrones. How pissed do you think people would be on a scale from one to 11? I would throw my tel- 13. I would throw my, <laughs> but this I would one throw goes my to television. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot of people would. There'd be TV sales would be like huge the next day. Credit oh my card gosh. Bills I, would, would I would yell. Big. I would walk outside and just scream at the top of my lungs. I'm sure. And then go back inside. The scream heard around the world took place today at <laughs> 9 p.m. <laughs> Eastern. <laughs> it did not. It did not stop for three full moments. Yeah. As as uh, neighbors, neighbors thought she was going to surely die. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Our next email is from Archmaester Rennie. Lady Kristen and Lord Sterling. Well met. I think this is my favorite episode from all the seasons so far. Yes, Hard Home, Battle of the Bastards, and The Spoils of War are great episodes, but what I love about this one is the cross-cutting between the women waiting to know the outcome of the battle that will determine their fate and the battle itself. Plus, this one showcases Tyrion's genius before his long downfall. Plus, Bronn singing Reigns of Castamere. Plus, Wildfire. Yeah, this one's my favorite. My favorite lines from this episode. Bronn to the Hound. One more drink before the war, shall we? The Hound to Sansa. Stannis is a killer. The Lannisters a killer. Your father was a killer. Your brother is a killer. Your sons will be killers someday. The world is built by killers. So you better get used to looking at them. <laughs> the Blu-ray has a commentary track from Grim himself. Grim. Grim says he, that he's pleased with the way it turned out, even though some elements of the book version are left out. He says that there are elements from the book that would have cost as much as feature films to include. He also says he'd prefer to have everybody in the battle wear their helmets, not just for the sake of realism, but because when he worked on The Twilight Zone, a stuntman got his nose cut off with a blunt sword which served as inspiration, as his inspiration for Tyrion's injury as portrayed in the book version. That is very interesting. Mm. He says he thinks this episode shows one of the best battles ever shown in the history of television. As always, George is right about everything. <laughs> Archmaester and disciple of George, hand of the Chancellor, and wielder of a Valyrian steel pen, Rennie. And in parentheses, in real life, I'm vice chancellor to a univer- of a university. My boss is chancellor, so I think that makes me hand of the chancellor. I drink out of a hand of the king coffee cup at work. <laughs> I love that. Awesome. Always good to hear from you, Archmaster Rennie. Thanks for writing in again. And great points. Yes, very yeah, much Yeah, a lot of so. interesting stuff I hadn't heard. From Caroline Collins. Hi, Duncan and Kristen. Hi, Hello. Caroline. Thanks so much for having Anwen on last week. Great episode as always. Thank you. I had so much to discuss with this episode, but my feedback is a little heavy this week, so I'll just limit it to one. I'm sure you guys will hit upon everything wonderfully as you always do. Oh, thanks. Mm-hmm. With Cersei's 
lesson to Sansa this week, I had a few thoughts about the female perspective in the show, especially in the wake of so much attention on violence against women in the forefront of our minds. I'm really excited to read this. I've heard a lot of people criticize Game of Thrones for being too rapey, especially around season five when Sansa married Ramsay and things look grim for many of our heroines in the series. I scoffed at fans who claimed that's how it was. How it was, this is a fictional universe and everything was created deliberately to be that way. Grimm put rape and violence against women in his world because he wanted it there. I continued to watch because despite the scenes that were difficult to watch, like the killing of Robert's bastards and Shireen burning at the stake, there is a more wonderful storytelling made possible by dire circumstances. I believe Grimm chose to include atrocities in his books because, as he has said, the world is loosely based on medieval England. That's what I was thinking. A period in history for which many of us hold a fondness. Unfortunately, our history books being written by men leaves us little information about how women lived. Every famous woman from that period of time seems to have died a gruesome death at the hands of men crazed with power. Damn. So I imagine in times of war, there was indeed a lot of violence against women. I find it refreshing that Grimm has at least tried to imagine a woman's place in this world and thereby created some of our favorite characters rather than ignoring women entirely as Tolkien and so many other fantasy writers have done. Good point. Yes. Cersei and Sanda's discussion. Cersei and Sansa's discussion, so matter-of-fact about the nature of men in war and yet so shocking, brings to mind just how lucky some of us are and yet how much work there is still to do to improve life for women in our world. We can hope that things continue to improve for our favorite ladies of Westeros as well. I fear there will always be Ramsay Boltons in our world, so may we always have the strength and courage to set the dogs on them. Oh, gosh. that. Hmm. That really hit me in the feels a little bit. Wow. <laughs> Blessing yeah. fr- blessings from the maiden mother and crone this week, Caroline Collins. And I will just say real quick that um, one of the Ramsey Boltons of our world was just sentenced today to 175 years in prison. Nice. Who's for, that? Uh, it is the doctor uh, that was uh, the doctor for the U.S. gymnastics team for over 20 years. Um, who sexually assaulted? Oh, um, I remember hearing about that. One hundred and sixty women That's or girls, little insane. girls, over uh, decades, and they all in the past week stood up and gave their story to the judge in front of their um, abuser, um, and the them. judge let them talk and let them have their say and their day in court. And she took all of that and then she berated him. And I encourage any of you to listen to the judge's sentencing today because it was beautiful and it was eloquent and it was, it was a fist pumping moment for anybody who's had to go through, um, anything like that in their past 175 years. It was a good moment, a good moment today. That's epic. Yeah. That's good to hear. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Um, he better hope he's in solitary confinement because he's not going to last long in prison. Oh, he, he gone. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Carolyn. Great uh, thought-provoking letter there. And that I, was wonderful. I agree. I Thank hope you. that uh, things continue to improve for our ladies of Westeros and Planetos and Planet Earth as well. Mm-hmm. Agreed. This next one is about last week's episode. Our next email comes from Sir Joseph of Team Targstark. 
(laughs) (laughs) This episode reminded me why it was not surprising that Theon was taken by Ramsay, at least not unexpected. He was not a good leader or a good man when he was whole. Even though he is on a redemption arc now, it is good that the farm boys got some justice. I want to shout at Rob to just go home and decree the Starks never to go back south. I cringed when I realized it was him who sanctioned the Boltons to take Winterfell, which lead to their betrayal. I had forgotten Talisa's story about her little brother, but it was still sad. I love how Varys tricked Tyrion into playing the game on his terms. Did he even give him any new information? Also, why did Jacken turn Arya down when she asked him to kill Tywin? Sir Joseph of Team Targstark. I don't think that he turned her down, but I think that it was just said that he couldn't guarantee it in the time slot that she needed. We have voicemails? We do. Hey guys, it's Kira from New York. Uh, happy belated New Year and Merry Christmas. Right back at you, Kira. Um, I'm really glad I was able to catch up with you guys for this particular episode. I think this thing should have won all of the awards, at least for mm. visual effects uh, by itself. This thing is awesome and that which all should be judged by. <laughs> um, I really wish they had the money to pull off all the detail and violence from the book, but the future Ice Dragon more than makes up for it. Kind of. Um, so, right, all right, getting right to it. Um, what is a map, a ship, an arrow, and daddy? Uh, those are four things needed to hold King's Landing. Uh, Jesus, <laughs> and if Varys didn't believe in Tyrion, none of this would have turned out as well as it did, and it damn well near did not. Yeah, uh, Tyrion is a bloody genius still. Totally. And to think that a single boat and a single arrow could take out an entire fleet is insane absolute insanity yeah wow um, right. also i kind of wish we had an orator as good as him anywhere in politics right now uh i feel <laughs> so bad for davos he loses his son he loses his faith in his kind of sort of his faith in his king eh, <laughs> i mean you blew up your whole ship everything goes to shit you kind of lose a few <laughs> points in the loyalty department in my opinion he's totally justified he'll be back in a quailode whatever um <laughs> And also, apparently, just because you have faith in a child-burning god doesn't mean that you have faith in the right god. Um, and, you know... You no, know, that's right. As much as Bronn and the Hound are side characters, they're pretty on point with everything that they've said in this entire series. In this particular instance, it would be that... Um, uh, it would be that the Hound predicted that Tyrion would miss Bronn. You know, he got exiled in the whole thing or ran away. And that Braun is much quicker than the Hound. 1,000% true. <laughs> and last but not least, good old Cersei. Uh, always burning down her house so that nobody else can play with her toys. How do you <laughs> go from coddling all of your children and calling them back to damn near poisoning your youngest <laughs> child? And actually, she kind of left Joffrey to fend for himself. That's kind of grimy. <laughs> um... But, you know, that's her. And then we also get uh, Sansa uh, becoming Shady Lady Sansa uh, <laughs> with her <laughs> um, with her sly, rem- sly remarks to Joffrey. She's completely like, you're going to be in the vanguard, right? <laughs> because you're king, right? And you're better than my brother, right? <laughs> and... and- that, that 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 was just the tip of the iceberg 
for her. I'm so proud of how far she's come along in this series. Still kind of annoying a little <laughs> bit, but, you know, she is, technically speaking, only, what, 16 years old at this point? Um, and to finally be alone in a room and get a speed course in uh, royalty and lack of faith, I'm guessing, uh, during times of war from Cersei... That that was that was a really 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 quick speed course in uh, despair uh, and destruction oh, yeah. and giving up hope uh, and not having any faith in your military. Well, um, I think that's it. I mean, it, it, I, I'm sure somebody else has said at least three of the things that I've said like five times <laughs> uh, to you guys. But this episode, I feel like this was the episode where if you weren't on board already, you should you should definitely be in for. And if you're in for an ounce, you're in for a pound. Uh, I, I love this episode. And I honest, I'm going to be honest. This was the first time I actually watched the episode. Interesting. So I, I, it's long story short, I didn't get to see it when it first came out. And I just never was able to go back and look at it because I basically didn't because I kept getting spoiled uh, with all the Internet uh, chatter about it. But um, I'm, I'm glad I could come back and talk to you guys about this one episode. Um, I'm um, really proud of you guys for getting a thousand likes. Um, I think it was on Facebook and that you guys are on YouTube now. It's kind of awesome. I look forward to watching and or listening to those two. <laughs> uh, talk to you guys later. Take care. Bye. Thanks, Kira. Oh, and sorry for being super speed talky and excited. Okay, no, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's great. I love uh, Kira's enthusiasm. Yeah, she has a good energy her. about her. Yeah, and lots of great points, too. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I love those New Yorkers. <laughs> the next one is from a caller who called us a number of weeks ago, and we didn't get the voicemail for a while, but then I ended up playing it, I believe. And so at first I didn't realize who this was from. So I said, this is from uh, Sir Anonymous of the Dish Sink. But uh, call back and give us your name, brother. Thanks. Hey, guys. So. Um... I just want to say that it's really weird listening in and hearing people call in and then finally hearing that. It's just like, ah, like, yeah. So anyways, um, I just wanted to call in and say thanks for doing everything that you do. And it's really, like, good to hear, like, insightful things. And it's just really nice, like, to have people who, like, like to think about that type of stuff. And it really gives me something to listen to. Like, I'm a dishwasher, so I just have to sit around and listen to people talk nonsense all the time so you guys all have to kind of escape that you actually hear something that's like intellectual mm -hmm. i guess nice so i just thought i was going to say that um but i had a question for you guys if there is one character that you relate to the most which one would it be and which obstacle would be the hardest for you to face that they had to go through um all right yeah i'll leave it at that all right bye wow damn Good question. That was from Sir Anonymous of the Dish Sink. Great to hear from you. Thanks for uh, calling us. Do you have an answer to that? I'm thinking right now. What do you think? Got one? Um, yeah. I, mm, you want me to go while you're thinking of it? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so I think that I relate most to Jon Snow. Um... Because we're both sort of naturally talented at things and have had difficulty figuring out what direction to focus our energy. We're both um, like into justice 
and what's and you know accomplishing what's right and that type of thing and i think that the most difficult obstacle is just figuring out where to uh to focus that energy and i think john's finally figured it out and that's what i'm working on right now too oh that's awesome what about you? Do you think of something? Hello, Mr. Anonymous of the Dish Sink. I loved your question. I thought it was really great. And I gave it actually a whole night to think about. So um, I actually recorded this answer a little later. But I just wanted to tell you that I think who I relate to the most in this world is Brienne of Tarth. Uh, a lot of the reasons why I relate to her is because I kind of understand her struggle a little bit with not knowing where she fits in, having different interests than the other ladies around her, um, and just always wondering if people really like her. Um, I know that I've struggled with that in the past, and I can um, appreciate the struggle, and I love the way that Gwendolyn Christie plays Brienne, um, how vulnerable she is, how exposed she feels. But all the while, she puts up this really brave face and she acts like she's made of armor when really she's uh, quite fragile um, and very and her and she feels very deeply. Uh, and I can really relate to that. I identify with that. Um, you know, Brienne shows a lot of loyalty uh, to those who show her kindness, respect and acceptance. Uh, loyalty is especially important to Brienne of Tarth, and loyalty is very important to me. Loyalty, honesty, uh, kindness, all of that. Um, if somebody is willing to show me that, I'll go to the ends of the earth for them, and they're my friend for life. Uh, any of my friends can pretty much tell you that, um, that that's kind of how I am. And once that loyalty or trust is broken, it's really hard to get it back. And I believe that that is kind of how Brienne is as well. So I, I love her. Um, I, I love how she's turned her struggle into her strength. I believe that that's something I have done, but all the while, um, underneath a very rough and hard exterior, we are very soft people and we feel very deeply for others and for ourselves. So anyways, thank you for the great question. That was a great question. Yeah. Thank you, Sir Anonymous of the Dish I'm going to think about that some more, too. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, yeah, call us back and let us know who you are, buddy. Yeah. Definitely. And we've got one more voicemail as well. Hey, guys. This is Sarah from Utah. I just had to call in for this episode because it's one of my favorites. Because of drunken Cersei <laughs> during the Battle of Blackwater Bay, Cersei being drunk and just thinking she's going to die today and all the just truth bombs that she's dropping on poor, innocent little Sansa, <laughs> um, it had me really thinking about what Christian was saying of the influences that all the characters are ha have had throughout the season and how... Cersei is one for Sansa, and I think in this moment you really see it, that Cersei, like, Sansa's had these ideas of what it's like to be a queen and what it would mean to marry the king, and Cersei's just obliterating all these idyllic th thoughts that Sansa's been having. Totally. And it's just an, an eye-opener for her. And I hadn't watched this episode in forever, 
but the moment between Sansa and the Hound where he, like, he comes to her to, like, protect her and he wants to take her with her had me, like, just got me really excited for their reunion in Winterfell. <laughs> and I never before kind of thought about them, like, together and the relationship they've had. But going back and watching this has me thinking, like, yeah, maybe people are right that, you know, she could end up with someone like the Hound or like Tyrion. So I can't wait to hear what you guys say about the episode. I'm really excited. This is one of my favorites. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for calling in, Sarah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I like that last point about Sansa and the Hound. They've had a lot of special little moments, you know. Sansa, Mm -hmm. or the Hound saving her when when, uh, Joffrey was having her stripped and beaten, saving her from being raped, offering to rescue her here. They've got a sweet little, uh, you know, relationship going on so yeah i'm looking forward to their them being reunited as well and aria and the hound yeah yeah it's interesting the, <laughs> he just loves those stark girls yes he does Apparently. doesn't he <laughs> <laughs> and we've got a last minute voicemail from lady gwendolyn hello it's so glad i'm so glad that i'm able to call this is lady gwendolyn i love your podcast It keeps me sane during my long hours at work, and I love all your insight and details and very going into good detail on everything. Uh, I'm caught up. I just finished watching Blackwater, so I'm excited to be able to call. Uh, I did want to go over a few things from the past. First off, Sirio is definitely alive. He had just finished uh, knocking out, killing some guards. Which I hope had you're right. Swords, which I'm sure he was able to pick up because he has master swordsman and is able to fight with anything. So he is definitely alive. Another point is that I think at this point already, Bolton is with Tywin because in a previous episode, Tywin was talking about how Rob kept winning and he wanted to try some different tactics. And I think at mm. that point, he was already um, seeking out different ways to beat Rob. He had his tentacles extended already. (laughs) So adamant about Rob not going back to Winterfell. At that point, I'm like, oh, he's already with Tywin because he's already not wanting Rob to go back and they're making moves. They may not know the extent of what it's going to come, but I think they're definitely already in cahoots. And then... You're probably right. Uh, I watched Blackwater and it was amazing. I forgot how wonderful it was. Yeah. And I never really liked Stannis and I haven't had any sympathy for him being him again. But in this episode, I was very impressed by his bravery. And brave is not a word that I would ever think to parallel with Stannis. But in this episode, I thought he was definitely brave. Agreed. And I Very brave. How, uh, Recklessly brave. Was just, you know, telling his speech and just like kind of when he was, when so he good. was leading them to fight, he was like, oh, wow, it's actually working. <laughs> uh, because even he didn't think that it may work. But it was a great episode. I'm glad to be caught up. And I just 
loved that explosion. It was so amazing. <laughs> but um, thank you so much for the podcast. I'm so glad that you guys are doing the rewatch because I knew I wanted to watch it a third time. And I love that I have the podcast to go along with it. And I have started reading the book. So thanks, you guys. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Lady Gwendolyn, mother of homeschoolers here. Hello again. There was something I forgot in my previous call that I wanted to mention. Welcome back. Um, I'm totally with you, Kristen, when it comes to favorite episodes. I love the action-packed episodes. And uh, one of my favorite was when the wildlings attack the wall. I absolutely love yeah, all one. aspects of that. But something that I forgot to mention was about Egret and Jon Snow. I absolutely loved seeing them again, meeting. It was so great. But when uh, Jon captured her, you know, it seemed like they were just wandering around. But <laughs> if you notice, whenever he would pull her, she would eventually end up leaving him. And, of course, she was distracting him with all her comments huh, and making him uncomfortable but she was definitely throwing us off and throwing him off that's so funny but she was leading him the whole way you know but total setup <laughs> thanks for the show i love that it's long i work long hours and you guys keep me company <laughs> as i listen in on your podcast awesome can't wait to hear the next episode talk to you guys later bye Thanks so much for calling in, Lady Gwendolyn. Sorry that we've already recorded and Kristen isn't here to uh, give you some feedback, too. But, um, yeah, give us a call next week as well, and we'll both respond to your message. Glad you're caught up with us and that you're enjoying the rewatch and the show. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thank you. Gosh, I love all the feedback this week. Lots of feedback. Yeah, lots of good stuff. Keep it coming. (laughs) Thank you very much. All right, that's our show, episode 61. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Next week, we'll be covering season two, episode 10, the season finale, Valar Morghulis. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. Yes, do that. Do that. Like our page on Facebook. Um, If you haven't yet, go on over there, and uh, we have a quick survey on there. We're trying to kind of get an idea of our listeners and who you guys are, and... Um, we would just really appreciate it if you could take that survey. Um, it's, it'll take you about 60 seconds. Yeah. Thank you in advance. And if you'd like to call us, you can always reach us at 813-563-3739. That's 813-JOFFREY. If you'd like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Imp slap! Bam! Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash G-O-M podcast. <laughs> We're also on Twitter and Instagram at G-O-M podcast. <laughs> Thanks to everybody that's written us a review and given us a rating. We really appreciate that. And more would be great. Help us propel us up in the search uh, list on iTunes and help us build a following. We're you know increasing listeners every week, it seems. So hopefully we can continue that trend and ride the wave all the way through the long night to season eight and if this is your first time listening to us or your first week um 
discovering us, you know, pop on and let us know. We'd yeah, love tell to us hear from who you him. are, where you're from, your social security number. No, don't do that. All of your um, bank account information. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Lots of golden dragons. Silver stags. <laughs> <laughs> That's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. The battle is over. We have won. Have you ever seen that meme where it's like me, like me when I watch regular television? Oh, skip through the uh, the intro. Me when Game of Thrones intro comes on and like it's a guy like with a conductor's sword and he's like. I never skip it, ever. And I am... Who am I? And I... <laughs> um, so... So, um... And, you know, he's a survivor, and he'll use, you know, anything that he can to survive. I mean, that's Tyrion in a nutshell, right? Yeah. And he fits into a little nutshell. Because <laughs> he's so cute. <laughs> Now, the Hound's motivational speech is, any man dies with a clean sword, I'll rape his fucking corpse. <laughs> I titled it, Lancel Ruins Everything. Because <laughs> nice. he does. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's pretty predictable of her to want to die on the Iron Throne as she's yeah. about to poison herself and Tommen. Oh, it kind of foreshadows her dad dying on a different oh. kind of throne, too, right? Oh, that's so funny. Oh, that's great. <laughs> wildfire <laughs> so you know what now we know that people know that when we talk about how people knowing that other people don't know that they know stuff oh my gosh that i don't know where i'm going with this it's nice to know that not everybody is a joffrey man imagine if cersei wins the game of thrones how pissed do you think people would be on a scale from one to eleven i would throw my tell 13 i would <laughs> throw my i would throw my television but this one goes to 11 <laughs>